podcast. Check it out. The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan podcast by night. All day. One day. Roy McDonald's gonna ask me, man, why is my voice all fucking distorted? How come you let Nick Diaz talk in his regular <laughs> voice, but you fuck my voice up sideways, son? Mm-hmm. Why do you do that to him? Because I'm trying to hurt his feelings. Whoa, I can't believe you went there. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even believe you went there. Good luck. So what's up, buddy? What's going on, brother? Yeah, man. This Things is always good. the weird thing, the, the pause, the commercial, the commercial, and then the music, and then the start talking part. It's like... Yeah. It's not the most efficient way to do it. It's not <laughs> no, the best way. Everything's been good, man. It's been a it's been a hell of a run. On it's been super exciting. I've been really exploring some of the more non psychedelic adventures in my own life that have been pretty pretty cool. Some of those things. Well, I guess you'd say non plant based uh, experiences. Really focusing on you know deepening meditation. Uh, learned a really cool thing uh, called shamanic breathing, which I was totally skeptical about. Have you ever heard about that? No. What is that? All right. So basically what you do is you create these really powerful breaths and consecutively through your nose <sighs> like that. So you're hyperventilating and you have, it's best to do this with a guide because, you know, I didn't really know what to expect going through. I was just like, all right, whatever. They put on some music and they get you fired up and they're like, give it hell, do it like you're you know, fighting for something great in your life. And they get you kind of stoked on this and you start breathing. And uh, what you're trying to do actually is create a state where you're, you know, you're purposefully hyperventilating yourself, which is actually manipulating your pH and then constricting some of the blood vessels that go to your, go to your brain. So you're creating... So you're choking yourself. Yeah, a little bit. A it's little like bit. It's like an autoerotic asphyxiation. <laughs> a little bit. Oh, so, but no. what you're trying to do is, like Aldous Huxley would say, is you're trying to obscure the cognitive filter for long enough that your brain allows little gaps. It's like opening the blinds in your brain a little bit so that the rational mind goes away and it allows whatever else that is. It's even Pressfield would call it the muse. Um, you know, psychedelic people would call it source or the other, or whatever you want to call it. That other information that comes in that isn't quite just produced by your rational mind. And by shutting off a few of the valves, it's actually kind of, it feels like you're opening the blinds. Well, again, I was totally skeptical. I've obviously done some of the most significant, you know, plant medicines in the world. So I was like, what is this shit? This is just breathing. But I got into it. And the first thing that happens about 10 minutes in is you experience what's called tetany, they call it. And it's where you like get really kind of curled up and you feel like you're, you're, you have like the claw, like you can't stretch out your fingers, super uncomfortable position. But they're like, keep breathing, keep breathing. I was like, fuck it. I'll go through it. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll see what's at the end of this rabbit hole. And then I did. And I pushed through that state and about 15 minutes in, it turned full psychedelic experience. And it was awesome. It was cool 15 as shit. minutes in. 15 minutes in. Yeah. So 15 minutes of just heavy, crazy breathing. Heavy, crazy breathing, yeah. And you you like, how long are these breaths? They're fast. Give me and, a couple of them. Give okay. me a couple of them right now. <laughs> and just keep doing that for 15 keep doing minutes. That. And you, and get you can high. alternate it. You can alternate it doing like little short ones, like, you know, but basically putting out a massive amount of breath. And then, and it's also, it's best to do this with somebody there leading because it does create, you get really kind of, it's a weird state you're being. You're actually really generating 
a psychedelic state. So we get in there 15 minutes and it was cool. It's not like the DMT experience, which has this, what they call the chrysanthemum of all these colors and vortexes and lights and the flotillas and all the shit I've previously described, but it's very focused, like the vision that you get. And I had a whole, me personally, I had like a whole background that kind of came in that was kind of like a seamless eternal background, 360 degrees. And then I saw myself come in, but I was like faceless and I was looking and looking. Are your eyes open or closed? Closed, closed. Yeah. You can't really see. If you try to open your, your vision, you're a little dizzy, you're distorted. You've basically hyperventilated the shit out of yourself. So, so when your eyes close and you're seeing this and then the most powerful transformative moment for me was when I actually, for the first time out of all the medicines I've ever done, I saw a visual depiction of what I believed my God self, my soul, my spirit self was, you know, in the aboga experience, that was my true self. And I heard it talking to me while I was taking the aboga. That was the one guiding me through with the blinking cursor going through all the information in my life. That voice, I actually saw it pictured and depicted in the physical form in that vision. Did it look looking like right Snoopy? <laughs> it didn't. Is, is that safe for that you? Is that safe for your lungs or your brain? Yeah. So it was developed by uh, by this guy Stanislav Grof, and he developed it when acid became illegal. He was like, "We got to create a state that's legal now that acid is illegal," because that was his favorite. So he created this, and they've done quite a bit of study. Um, it felt it felt you know intense, but you felt really strong and good after it was done so and i've looked around at some of the studies and a couple of people say it's not good for you but other people say absolutely no harm uh and done so do your research on that make sure that you're comfortable with what it's doing to your body well, but, the um, idea why would i well, i'm confused as to why it would be bad for you if all you're doing is breathing heavy yeah it, it really Seems you're like, not adding any kind of exercise the same kind no. of thing then? Is it, it is to a certain degree except this is actually temporarily you know, restricting some blood flow, but it's not like... How is it doing that, though, by just breathing? Yeah, so uh, some mechanism with the expulsion... Yeah. (laughs) You're going to have to... Faster, harder. In through the nose, out through the mouth. (laughs) This does not make for a good podcast because this could take like 10 minutes. Yeah, it could take a while, especially for a fucking powerhouse like you. Drop down to five. (laughs) But, uh, but, But it manipulates the carbon dioxide level in your blood you're expelling more carbon dioxide which raises your ph level Hmm. and by raising your ph level it somehow restricts some of the blood vessels which creates this state and uh, and really there's you know when you start to look at the mechanism of action a lot of psychedelics what it's doing is it's shutting off certain portions of the brain And, and that's what people you know that's where i really appreciate aldous huxley's view on this which is a lot of people think the psychedelic experience is adding something to you like adding an experience on he's saying all you're doing you're not adding shit you're taking away your mind and by taking away your mind you allow what's already there to come through and this is a reliable legal self mechanism for getting there Wow. And it was pretty cool, so I have to say. So where does the average person find uh, a guide to do this? Yeah, I would just look at, you know, Google your city, you know, whatever it is, Austin. You got to get fucked. Austin, you got to be careful. Some dude's going to fuck you. <laughs> Some guy's going to fuck you. He's going to, yeah, it's shamanic breathing. You got to breathe my, through my dick. You have to be careful wherever you go. You have to yes. be careful with ayahuasca maestros. <laughs> you have to be careful with the... Uh, with the bogus shamans, all yeah. of these people, it's true, you got to right? put them through your shit list. You yeah, know? you never know. You never know because just because someone says they're an aboga shaman, 
then doesn't really doesn't, mean they're doesn't not a mean creep. Anything. Exactly. Anybody could say that now. You know, I mean, anybody could say they're an ayahuascaro. You know, you have yep. to find out and whether or not they, they're legit. Yeah, yeah, that's unfortunate. That's one of the unfortunate aspects of being able to communicate. We can also lie. <laughs> or, or it's like life coach. Anyone can t- say that they're a life coach now, Dude, and that's ridiculous. I've got a funny life hole. coach story. Did I tell you about that guy who uh, bangs older rich chicks? No. I did. I, I mentioned him on the podcast before, but uh, it's like when you're around someone and you just immediately go, oh, great. There's a fucking there's a coyote in the chicken coop. And I'm watching all these poor old ladies hang around with this like super charming man with a ponytail. And I want to smack him because I'm like, I know what you're doing. You fuck. He's hanging out with these older broads. And he started out as like a, a manny, you know, a male nanny. Uh-huh. And uh, my friend who lived next door was like, keep that fucking guy away from my wife, man. Like he, like, he had a thing about him. And this guy's not very jealous. So I was like, hmm, interesting. So then it turns out uh, he starts banging the wife, and they get a divorce. And so the, so the, hus- <laughs> the husband knew it. The husband, it yeah, the husband leaves, and now this guy is banging the wife, who's rich, of course. And now he becomes a life coach. He's not a male nanny anymore. He's a life coach. I'm like, this guy is just a straight con man. He's just a straight con man who moved into this neighborhood and started wearing thumb rings and, you know, knee high leather boots. Thumb ring and a ponytail. You You can't do that. Tries to You can only, you can only permit yourself one or the other, really. Yeah. He's one of those guys where, you know, you'll catch him reading a classic. Oh, I just, just happened to be reading Kerouac here. Come on in. You know, he's like cultivating this Uh whole image and uh, using it to scam these older ladies. It's really interesting how obvious it is, too. Like, if you're talking to the guy, he just oozes bullshit. But, mm-hmm. but he's 36, and he's got a cock, and, you know, these 50-year-old women are like, I can't even believe he's banging me, and boom! Next thing you know, he's a life coach. Life coach. Fucking life coach. Got to get your bull t- bullshit detector Son out. Strong. Hone that in. Yeah, and ladies, Fine. guys with thumb rings, come on now. Come on now. <laughs> What is that guy doing with a fucking thumb ring on? Silly bitch. That's ridiculous. Agreed. Agreed. He's banging you. You're 50 and he's got a thumb ring. Run! And a ponytail. Run! Yeah. Ponytail. Silly, Sounds like silly that, that Paul Rudd movie about Elysium. What was that one? About what? There's this Paul Rudd movie that was kind of a bit of a spoof on... Uh, on like a commune where everything was super spiritual. Oh, I didn't see guy, that, but I saw the ads yeah, for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Wanderlust. Wanderlust. Wanderlust was the name of it. Yeah. Was it like any good? the main guy? It was pretty funny. Yeah, there were some super funny parts. Well, that movie vanished. I didn't yeah. hear a fucking goddamn thing okay. about that movie. It wasn't it wasn't great, but it was okay. But they have a guy like that. Ponytail, thumb rings, plays the guitar really soft. And, yeah. And then he ends up trying to fuck Paul Rudd's girlfriend. Of course. Of course. That's what those guys do. Yeah. Yeah. I know another guy who will rename, remain nameless, but he's very shamanistic in nature and is really trying to just bang chicks. But there are good ones. Yeah. There, there are, are good ones. ones. Well, for sure. The experience is, um, uh, you know, I had a conversation with David Cho about this yesterday where I said that if you took DMT or psilocybin or whatever and, and someone said to you, did you just go to cougarlife.com? You know? Get I off remember. that. Get off that. But I look at these messages. All yeah, these I don't want to see the messages, man. Um, <laughs> if you... You know, a lot of people like look at any sort of a psychedelic experience and they say, oh, you're hallucinating. You're just hallucinating. But my take on it is kind of whether or not it's real, whether or not you could take it and put it in a bag and put a Ziploc on it and set it on a scale and measure it. 
your, or whether or not it's a hallucination. The exact same experience happened. Mm-hmm. Whether you think that you are in another dimension communicating with intelligent entities or these chemicals are fucking with your cerebral cortex and forcing your visual input to get fucked sideways by all this additional shit that's not yeah. supposed to be there and so you have hallucinations. Either way, the same thing is happening to you. Yep. If you took magic fairy dust and were transported into an impossible strange land where the sky was filled with ever-changing geometric patterns that are made out of love and understanding and they're coming down to you and telling you everything that you already know about yourself and telling you that they love you, or you're hallucinating, isn't the same thing happening? The same thing is happening to your eyes. The same thing is happening to your brain. And the same thing is happening for you to sit back and to sort of interpret and try to incorporate into your view of the world. Yeah. The same exact thing, whether it's real or not. So we get caught up in this idea of what's real. What is real? Is that real? Because I can hit it with a hammer. And is the air real? Because I can't even touch that. Sure. It's like, can we measure it with modern sources? If we can, then it's real. I say that's crazy. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, the, I've been looking at a lot of Toltec philosophy uh, over recently, and they just dispose of that problem entirely. They call our whole experience uh, the dream. And it's a, it's a co-created dream by everybody. They just call it the dream. The mitote is what they call it. And what they say is the most important thing is not the dream itself, but how that dream interacts with us. It's a completely subjective reality. If you already think of everything as a dream, then you stop asking these silly questions about whether the mushrooms are doing this or that. It's about your experience with them. It's about how that translates to what you're going to be, how you're able to see the world better, how you're able to find a deeper awareness, how you're able to, in what their worldview is, be the warrior hunter that hunts what they call the parasite inside themselves. Same thing that Stephen Pressfield calls resistance. They call the parasite. Hunt that part of yourself that's self-sabotaging, that's fearful. And, and that's what they say is the most important, is getting yourself to those states where you're aware and you can interact with the dream on your terms. Set your intent. Use your powerful belief to make the dream uh, a dream of heaven instead of a dream of hell. And the idea that you're going to fall into some sort of a situation where if you have a, a psychedelic experience and it, it fucks your head up that maybe you're not going to be able to come back and maybe you're, you're going to go crazy, that, that's a real possibility. And that's something that people need to consider before they fuck around with anything. If you have a hard time with regular reality, don't, don't go doing any drugs. That's when you want to try that shamanic breathing shit. Mm-hmm. Try, work your way up yeah, to that. Yeah, totally. Don't just take acid, you know, because if you take acid, it will last like a long time. And if you're freaking out, like part of psychedelic experiences are the ability to just let go. Mm -hmm. And it's very hard for people to do. And one of the big things when you hear people talk about like bad trips, in my experience, one of the, um, the big issues is people letting go and letting the experience take them there because you will try to resist it because one of the first things that any psychedelic experience exposes is your own flaws and inadequacies. And a lot of people do not. Yeah. I think it was Bob Marley that said it was the mirror that reveals you to yourself. Yeah. 
And a lot of people don't like that. No. Because <laughs> you're creating, you're creating yeah. an image that isn't true. Yeah. The image you want to project is not what's going to appear to you in the mirror unless yeah. you've done something like this. It doesn't have to be a psychedelic experience. A flotation tank can get you there. Yeah. Meditation, if done correctly, can get you there. But the psychedelic experience goes with the, the earth mover, mm-hmm. and it just takes tons of dirt yeah. off of the path. So you see the mirror way quicker it's a bunker buster it is exactly it just gets right down through that right mountain down. and fucks you up yeah. all your mountain of bullshit that you cover yourself with um that that's what i think leads to a, a lot of bad trips for people but you also have to consider brain chemistry you know there's some people that need medication there's some people where their brain's not working so well mm-hmm. and if that's you don't stack mushrooms on top of that. Yeah. You know, I would, I would, I would say that that's probably not the best way to go. Yeah, I think that's important. Whenever we talk about psychedelics, we talk about the good aspects of it, but then you hear about like that dude from Pink Floyd that lost his marbles, and especially with the synthetics, you know, you find that acid. seemingly acid and some other different, um, you know, some of the other different chem- chemical monikers like. Uh, Dr. Sasha Shulgin would create in his lab or something. That like guy that. seems fine though. He is fine you though, know, but he has the right. He has the right attitude. I think with the right attitude of the the key is is to witness and allow. You mm. got to be the person in the movie theater eating popcorn, watching what's happening. You know, kind of subjectively, just yeah. objectively. I mean, just like oh, ooh, that's interesting. Oh, snakes eating my organs. Oh yeah, that's interesting. Oh, going down a vine of thorns and having my genitals eviscerated. Oh, that's unpleasant, but no big deal. That's the attitude you have to take during those horrible things, regardless of what it is. Because if you don't, if you try to fight it, it's gonna win. Yeah, and it's so easy to develop a strong ego. God, especially if you're a man, it's so easy to take yourself seriously, especially if you've got some accomplishments under your belt and you're working hard every day and you just start thinking you're something special. You know, Mm -hmm. you really can confuse the fuck out of yourself. And then one of those ego obliterating experiences (laughs) comes along and just exposes you to yourself for what you really are. And you're like, oh, wow. Whew. But I almost always feel when it's over, like, wow, I needed that. Whew. Yeah, absolutely. I so much, feel so much lighter. Yeah, <laughs> like I move better now. Yeah, I can get along quicker now. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think you know, going back to the archives of of my history, I remember one particularly difficult experience, one of the most challenging I had. And and I've had, a, I've talked a lot about snakes and spiders exploding, and and all of that. I've always taken with a grain of salt. The one that was the most most challenging experience I've had was actually a vision of hell where I felt completely out of any realm where there was life. Like there was not a rock, there was not a tree, there was not another living thing anywhere around. And it was the deepest, loneliest, most isolated feeling I've ever felt. And that, to me, actually calibrated what my experience of hell ever was is hell is not in these places with demons and fire there's all life force there there's the energy of creation or destruction hell is being on the other side of space where there is no life where there's no source where there's no nothing there i mean a rock a spider anything would have been a salvation in this place that i was that i was appearing at and i felt myself at that point trying to fight it like oh fuck i gotta get out of here make some butterflies appear something please happen a color anything everything was just drab and dead and i was totally alone and that experience there you know if if i hadn't been you know well versed in in what you know in this realm on the other side then 
it could have been a really, it could have been an experience that stuck with me. You know, it could have been something that I didn't allow to happen and I fought and I, and if I would have stood up and tried to change my scenery and touch my face and say, Hey, Hey, I'm still alive. Hey, I'm still in life and not actually dealt with that and not seen it all the way through. I had the feeling like that would have been something that would have stuck with me. So psychedelics are not to be taken lightly. I think you need to take the proper steps, find someone who's experienced, you know, do something like holotropic breathing, you know, do something That's like what it's an called, isolate, holotropic, holotropic or shamanic, do something like that. Go to an isolation tank, you know, maybe try a little weed, you know, make sure that you're cool with, with like the, the baby steps before you just go whole hog. And if you do go whole hog, there's something to be said for that. Just diving in the cold swimming pool, you know, without dipping your toe in, make sure you're with someone who's just on their game and mm. really on point and can guide you through. And you can look at them. One of the most important things is to look at them and then be like, Hey, I'm not going to die. Right. And sometimes yeah. you just need them to be like, yeah, you're good. And that's all you need. Yeah. Like, Hey, I didn't accidentally poison myself because your, your brain will tell you if you're doing it alone and you get to a bad place, it's going to say, I think you might've just poisoned yourself, dude. I think yeah. you might have just poisoned yourself. And you don't want that voice, especially when you're starting out. That's what know? it feels like when you do DMT. <clears throat> yeah. You feel like there's no way I'm coming back from this. <laughs> this is, I yeah. fucked up. I fucked up. Yeah. I crossed into the great beyond to take a peek. Mm -hmm. and they're going to let me back. <laughs> it's, uh, it's really sad that from what we know about the positive benefits of a lot of these substances, that we are forced to do it this way. We're forced yeah. to... we we're under the illusion that we live in a free society because it's freer than most societies, but it's still not a free society. The, the human race has yet to conceive of and execute a free society. It doesn't exist, especially a free, educated, aware society that is not beholden to evil corporations. Right. We haven't figured that out yet. Right. We really haven't. And um, that's why we you make movies it. about it, yeah. like Avatar, and they become wildly popular. Oh yeah, but yeah. That's yeah. the closest we can come to is our own imaginations. E yeah, there's some. I don't know. Like, there's a lot of people believe that it, you kind of have to cert have a certain amount of yang in order to have a certain amount of yin, mm -hmm. and it's almost like this sort of evil against good is like what the human being needs to sort of propel society forward. Right. This conflict. constant struggle and yeah. conflict, which creates momentum. I don't necessarily agree with that, but it seems to be that a lot of people are lazy as fuck, and if they lived in paradise, they wouldn't get laptops made. You know? Yeah. It's like That's almost true. like you need some... It's, it all has to be difficult for us to push further. You know, but there's enough difficulty in our own minds. Mm -hmm. You know, just getting within ourselves finding happiness and self-love and actualization is a fucking battle already. Yeah. You know, so to say that we need this external shit just to allow us to do that is not true. There's no, always going to no, be a struggle. I'm not saying you know? that we need. You and I certainly don't need it. Sure, but, if but you society at, as a whole. If I looked at the human race as a mathematical computation and I looked at the amount of energy that's been expressed and the amount of uh, effort that's been expressed... And a little, well, why are they spending so much energy? Why are they spending so much effort? Well, they're doing it because they're trying to conquer the world. They're mm -hmm. doing it because they're trying to expose. They're trying to enforce their ape ideology on this ever-changing technological world they live in. That's why they're expressing themselves in these 16-hour workdays. Yeah. I mean, it's really that simple. I mean, why, why are they in debt? Why do they owe so much money? Why do they, why do they work more than they, their health lets them? Like, what mm -hmm. are they doing there? 
well, they have to because they owe money for credit cards because they had to pay for fucking electronics that they need to keep the machine alive. Like if you looked at it completely objectively outside of being a person, outside of being a cog in this wheel, and you looked at it from like, you know, an objective distance, you would say, oh, I I see they're fucking building towards something and they're, they're in a fury. They're in a frenzy to the point where they give up their own health and happiness in order to perpetuate this process. Yeah, it's fascinating. Or they're either building something or they're at the height of madness, yes. you know, to a certain Both. degree. Both. And could be that this height of madness, the whole reason why it coexists with this incredible restriction restriction on psychedelics and restriction on the the, the public's access to psychedelics that they they coexist because without one you could not have the other. Mm-hmm. If if psychedelics were not illegal and incredibly difficult to come by we would not live in the same world yeah we would be connected the whole world would realize that we are all we are completely necessary to each other and that that vision that you had of ultimate space and and silence and 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 no color and drabness and Mm -hmm. being being hellacious because even though we have these instincts and this ego that wants us to go out there and make our name for ourselves, the reality is you are not shit without other people yep you cannot, you, if you're alone, it's for breaks where you take breaks and you breathe and you get something to eat and you watch TV by yourself and you go, that was nice, but you better get back to the people soon. Yeah. Cause if you don't, you're fucked. It's like, I don't, some days I don't eat. I take a day off eating if I feel like taking a day off eating, it's good for you. but I only, I don't take more than one, yeah. you know, I don't take a month off. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's not good. Yeah. And a staple of being a human being is human beings. You have to interact with human beings. We're, we're most certainly a part of a process. The question is, is this process being run in a conscious manner or is it being run in an instinctive manner that's been hijacked because the very instincts that we have, which were sort of regulated by psychedelic compounds throughout our history, and we remove those compounds from the equation, which accelerates the madness aspect of the human right. without the, the biochemical and uh, botanical sort of uh, mediating agents. Check and balance. I think a lot of things have been hijacked. I think religion has been one of the main things that has been hijacked. It has taken our desire to connect with source, with life, with God, if your vocabulary permits. You know, there's a big vocab issue yes. with this whole thing, whatever you want to call it, right. that force that creates life life within all of us. Call it God, call it whatever you want. But there is a natural inclination, a drawing towards that. I think there's, a, there's an old myth between a, a Hindu myth, and it says, you know, Brahma and Maya were the only two forces out there in the universe, and they were bored. And so Maya said, okay, we're going to create a game. Maya was a female, Brahma was the male deity. Not that any of them have a sex at that point anyways. But she says, we're going to have a game. And, the, and Brahma's like, okay, we'll do that. It's like, first you create the world. All right, Brahma creates the world. Then after Brahma creates the world, she says, okay, now you have to create someone who can appreciate the world. And says, okay, so he creates humans. And then at that point, she cuts him up into all tiny little tiny pieces. And he puts a little piece in each human and says, Brahma, now the game begins. The game is you are going to all think you're different and you're going to have to find your way back to figuring out who you are. And so that, that idea that we're all like a little piece of something still just trying to figure it out that instinct, that impetus to, you know, to find what we are at the very core, when you remove the body, remove the mind, get back to the soul, and even remove the soul, so you're just that piece of life force, 
you know, that desire to figure out what that is has been jacked, just jacked by Christianity, Islam, Judaism, which had a, a sentiment of truth, a kernel of goodness and wisdom, all of these things, Islam included, everything has this kernel of wisdom and value, but then it gets hijacked by people for power. You know, people who have been frustrated, people who are sadistic, people who want to control other people, want the money, want the sex. They're like the Tony Montana in a fucking priest robe. You know, they jack this stuff, leaders, to control the people. And, and it's created this massive imbalance. I think it's maybe not created it, but it's certainly accelerated it. And then, of course, the forces of greed that have been kind of uh, inculcated by general society and this... Dis- feeling that you need more things and and all of this this is all just fueled to create really a massive imbalance in my opinion it didn't need to be this massive but there is going to be a massive correction i just hope we don't go too far back the other way because there is a need for balance there is a need for you know in my opinion strength and capitalism and many of the ideals that we actually do pretty well um but you know, if you go all the way completely back the other side, which is a little bit probably why the movement in the 60s and 70s failed, it was too loose, didn't have enough structure, didn't have enough of the, of the, you know, the yang part of it. It just went too yin. And the problem with creating these big imbalances is the pendulum swing gets too broad. Yeah, um, that, that, that is a, a really good point, man, the pendulum swing. And it's, uh, it's fascinating how every time a person gets into a position of power, there's a corruption and a, a, a deviation from their original intent, and it becomes this, this sort of dominance issue, mm-hmm. like even with Obama. Yeah. Uh, Obama has, look, he came from, if you look at his past, he came from a single mother, uh, he's of mixed race. You look at him, you say, well, this guy should understand the, the plight of the common folk. This guy should be, you know, someone who represents us because he grew up kind of poor. You know, he wasn't a rich kid. But then he gets into office and he's been the one guy who's attacked whistleblowers more than any president before. He's gone after the press more than any president before. They've dropped more bombs from drones than any president before. So what's he for? He's for a lack of privacy. He's for infringement on your rights. He's for restricting constitutional liberty. He's for changing constitutional and uh, the uh, amendments that have given us freedoms in this country and restricting them to keep you safe. All the shit that we've been warned about by like our founding fathers. Yep. He who would take freedom, he who would take uh, safety over liberty deserves neither. Mm-hmm. You know, that's like a, a, an old school saying. And yep. this idea that they're going to take liberty away from you to protect you. The drones, and it's fucking Obama. Obama's doing this? Like, remember that guy that got into Egypt? And, you know, they were like, well, you know, Egypt threw out that that asshole dictator. And and as soon as this new guy gets in, he tries to pass all these laws to turn himself into a dictator. Mm -hmm. And you're like, Jesus Christ. And there's riots in the streets. Like, what the fuck did we fight for? What is going on? What is exactly, what exactly is executive privilege? What the fuck are you talking about? You mean you don't have to tell us that you knew about some crazy program where they sold guns to Mexican drug lords, thousands of guns, and those guns were used on uh, American citizens. The Border Patrol agent was murdered with one Mm -hmm. of those guns, this Operation Fast and Furious. And Obama says, well, I'm just going to take executive privilege. I don't really have to talk about that. 
Like, that's crazy. And I'm not saying he's guilty, and I'm not saying that as a president he could possibly be aware of everything that's going on, because I I don't think he can. But the fact that we have some creepy get-out-of-jail-free pass, because that seems like some shit that might put you You in jail forever. What what you would want from your movie hero president is to say, hey, this is bullshit. I'm not going to take executive privilege. The people need to know about this. This was some whack system that we had in the government. It's going to change. But no, they don't do that. You know, and in every instance, they kind of push things under. Just wait for people to get lazy. Yeah. You know, whether it's the president or whether it's the UN. I just watched a great documentary called UN Me, like you for United Nations Me. Uh, it's by this guy Ami Horowitz, and some of the things they're talking about there in in the Rwanda crisis was unbelievable. So basically, they had the, the UN, which is a heavily armed force in the area, can really regulate shit if they wanted to. They got all the machine guns, they got tanks, they got whatever. Intelligence from one of the top colonels comes back to the UN and says, hey, the, the Hutus are about to uh, exterminate the Tutsis. We have the plan. We have the leaders of the Hutus. We can take them down. We can take them out now and prevent a mass genocide. And this was like a week in advance. Sending the cable. Sending, can, can we do this? Can we do this? Can we stop this genocide? Please. These are the leaders. They're going to get this message out. Can we stop them? Can we stop them? No. No answer. No. Uh, better stay impartial. Better stay impartial. Well, what happens? What, exactly what the colonel said happens. The, the Hutus go in, they get their hammers, they get their machetes, and they just run riot. Everybody with the Tutsi identification card, whacked, right? So eventually, all of the Tutsis gather, and the UN puts up a flag in this school, post a perimeter, and there's hundreds and hundreds of, of Tutsis that have gathered in this, in this building. And they're safe for temporarily, as the UN is there protecting them. And then what happens? So the Hutus go around and they start drinking and they have their bloody hammers fresh on their, their kinsmen's blood out there. And they're just drinking and taunting and hanging out outside the perimeter. The UN says, you know, what do we do? What do we got to do? And the message comes back in from the UN, evacuate the premises, evacuate the premises. And they're like, if we do that, there's 500 people that are going to get killed with hammers. You realize that? And they're like, yeah, we can't, we can't take sides. Evacuate the premises. And as they're evacuating the premises, you see this footage. They're like hanging on. They're like hanging on to the tank. Please take me. They're asking him, shoot me. Please shoot me so I don't have to deal with what the people with the hammers and the machetes and the rape that's going to happen if you evacuate us and you leave us right now. What happens? The soldiers beat them off with the end of their guns, cruise out, and exactly that happens. They roll into the school, mass murder, mass genocide. Why aren't we more upset about that? That is ridiculous. What the hell is the UN doing? if they're not there to protect those people in that circumstance, you know? And that's just an example of, you know, we pick on our own government all the time. Sure, we have some certain involvement in the UN, but the UN doesn't seem any better. And it makes sense that, you know, probably hardly any other government is better. We're just more active. Somehow, this system that has created people in power has created a morality where all they care about is power and money. And that's got to change. And how do you get that to change without enlightening people? And how do you enlighten people? You know, I mean, you can't get them to just breathe. Come on, dude. I'm going to get you to yeah. do sh- shamanic breathing. Everybody sit down. I mean, you're going to force them to no, do shamanic they need, breathing? They need, the, they need the bunker busters. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a fascinating situation because we are in this 
really odd time where we can learn so much and there's so much information available almost instantaneously, but yet we still are struggling with these crazy ape dominance instincts. Mm -hmm. And these ape dominance instincts sort of get subverted in these large civilization contexts of one person or multiple people controlling millions and mm -hmm. having to keep like a lid on this bubbling cauldron of humanity that you can call a, a country and they almost all do the same thing they just it's a fucking power grab yeah. they try to protect themselves as much as possible they try to take away your rights especially your right to go after them your right to defend yourself they want to take away your guns they want to take away anything that makes you crazy they want to take anything that's going to empower you and and somehow or another take away from their ability to control you it's like no no society really wants to give people equal access to information no society really wanted the internet they just fucked up and it would it sort of snuck up on them yeah. and now they're stuck in the situation where they're trying to they're trying to regulate and trying to sort of govern people the way they did 3 4 decades ago mm -hmm. Which is a blink of, the, of an eye in, in terms of culture. But in terms of this society, it's a million years ago because of the internet. So it looks so woefully inadequate today. Mm -hmm. It looks so clumsy and it's so obviously corrupt. Like I would say that this, civil, this culture that's growing up right now, this generation, <clears throat> knows more about the fact that our government is corrupt and how it's corrupt more than any generation before. Absolutely. Like by a long stretch. By a long shot. There's things that we know about today, you know, when, I mean, even things that were in the news, like the Iran-Contra affair. I mean, I remember yeah. that was when I was in my early 20s, seeing Oliver North on TV and trying to piece this together and trying to figure out, wait, 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 what? Well, hold on. What did you guys do? The, why is the, you guys sold arms to Iran? What are you doing? Like, yeah. what the fuck is going on? And you did what? You all, the Contras and the Sandinistas? What'd you do? You sold coke in the ghetto? You guys sold coke to pay for guns. Whoa. Yeah. Like, what kind of government are we running? Yeah. And I, I think so, you know, to go back to your question, how do we fix it? And I, I think the only way is we have to create a pandemic, an epidemic, like influenza used to be, or the Black Plague used to be, but on the good side, a pandemic of consciousness. And I think that's one of the, the beautiful things about your show here, is that we're creating a bit of that momentum. We're catching people, and then these ideas, they're contagious. You know, That's why you call it spreading virally, the whole term from the internet. It can be like a virus. Truth, consciousness, awareness can spread. And we're all an active part of spreading that. Each person that we bring in and say, hey, have you seen this? You know, I remember one of the things I was, you know, I showed uh, a video about NDAA, just for an example, the indefinite detention to somebody who was mildly... For folks who don't know what that is, the National Defense Authorization Act, which is a really scary act that's been passed recently, which has all sorts of things in there that eviscerate the Bill of Rights. One of them is this indefinite detention where they can take someone who's an American citizen, then they suspect them of something, and they can just detain them. They don't have to have a lawyer. They don't have to... Like, you don't have any rights. You don't have any rights anymore. It's basically just like the king throwing you in the dungeon. Yep. And this is real shit that our politicians have passed. We've been hijacked, yeah. essentially. So I showed this video to someone who was mildly pro-Obama, not crazy, really kind of you know, took herself out of the whole political picture. And I was like, listen, this is a bill that he allowed to pass and showed her all the details about it. Basically, it was a video describing exactly what you said and, and going through it in about a two-minute video. She's like, oh, my God, really? Whoa. 
you know, and at that moment you could see there was a shift there. You know, she understood something that wasn't, she wasn't aware of. And every time that happens, you know, we make those little marks, it starts to spread virally. And at certain point, I believe that it will get to a critical mass where the people just will no longer tolerate it and will be the majority. And at that point, we'll have to clean house. And they're going to cling. You know, the old power structure is going to cling. They're going to come up with some really crazy, fucked up rules. And I think at the height of it, unfortunately, there's going to be conflict, I think. It's inevitable. I don't know what that's going to be, but it's going to get really nasty when the movement of consciousness runs square against the, this kind of reptilian power grab of the old structure. And that's going to be a trying time. But I think, Or they'll die off. Or they'll die off smoothly. people in their place. That's possible. <clears throat> and hopefully that's the best yeah, case, right? That's the best case That's scenario. the way we want it to be. The way we want it to be is that the young people coming up now, the ones that are in college right now, the people that are listening to this, you know, when they're riding their bike to school, you're the ones that are going to be responsible for running this fucking crazy machine in the future. Absolutely. And if, if the whole world is aware of what the fuck is going on, it's harder and harder to fuck people. Mm-hmm. It's just harder. And I think right now they're still able to lock down enough that they can operate in the old way. And when you see things like the the NSA's idea of building this Sui Abby Martin and um, uh, what's her name? Uh, who's the other gal? Well, David Seaman, it was his uh, thing as well. We had him on and he was explaining to us uh, what what they're trying to do, that they're they're building this gigantic compound in Utah, which essentially copies every email that every American citizen makes, every phone call that you make is recorded, every picture that you text someone. So all your dick pics, all those are going to be recorded. So that if they ever have anything that they have to bring up, uh, Aubrey Marcus, what are you doing um, in Florida? And uh, did you, you know, whatever, did you fucking burn the American flag? Like, uh, what are you talking about? Like, well, we have here your emails that say that you were on your way to Florida to burn the flag. We have here the flag that you bought at Walmart because we, we you know, you traced your credit card. We have here, you know, the phone calls you made bragging about it. You want us to play them back for you? And you're like, what? And you realize, like, my whole life is being recorded. Like, every email I make, I have to assume now that someone's listening and reading my emails, mm-hmm. listening to my phone calls and reading my emails. Who are these people and what, because they get elected? Do they even get elected? I mean, when you're in the NSA, do you get elected or do you just get hired? So you get hired, so you get hired and you get to be the one who decides whether or not they can look at your dick pics? Like, what, what kind of a world are we living in where s- some small group of people have that kind of power over the rest of us? I can't, if someone hacks into your email, those, pers- those people can go to jail. Okay, if a regular person, some, if uh, Brian gets nutty and he, he decides to hack into some girl's email and starts reading her email, she could find out about that and she could have him arrested and he can go to jail. You could yeah. do like cyber terrorism. You could do time for that. But if the NSA says it's okay and that's your gig and you, you press that button which says record all Aubrey Michael, Marcus's emails, that somehow is okay, that, that's insanity. That, that is the height of insanity. Yeah. And we're, we're not talking about criminals here, ladies and gentlemen. We're talking about the entire population of the United States. Wrap your head around that. You know, innocent until proven guilty? Yeah, not so much. The idea is they're going to record all of your shit, but don't worry. They won't send your dick pics out as long as you keep it together. 
You know, now imagine a scenario where what makes this particularly vile is the fact that there's so many unjust laws. I mean, if every law was perfectly just and based upon harming somebody else, then it would be like, yeah, what are they going to fucking catch me for? You know, whatever. You know, it's going to be like the only people who would get caught were thieves, murderers, rapists, people like that. But because there's so many unjust bullshit laws, like these laws around your own, you know, personal freedoms, like whether you want sexual freedoms, um, you know, what you ingest in your body, what kind of, you know, whether you want to smoke weed or whether you want it, whatever, all of these unjust laws give them so much more leverage. Yeah. It's like the church saying that, you know, masturbating and sex is a sin. Well, guess what? You got a whole bunch of fucking sinners then. Mm -hmm. And then once you have sinners, then you can manipulate them with guilt, you know, and then you can manipulate them with absolution and you can control them. But if they didn't do that, if the church was like, yeah, you just have to be a good person and try your best and you're not a sinner, you know, it'd be like, ah, sweet. I qualify. See you later, church. And you know, the completion of the cycle of evil, and this is where it gets really screwy, is that there's a good percentage of our prisons that are private, which means they're businesses mm. that profit off of people being in jail. And so they and the prison guard unions lobby to make sure that there's more laws that they can use to lock you up and fill their prisons to make money. So it is essentially legalized slavery. And there's a lot of those laws, especially when it comes to the drug laws, that absolutely make no fucking sense. They're not based on science. They're not based on what we know about the human body in 2013. Especially like marijuana laws. In no way is it based on anything rational in, in any way, shape, or form. Yet, it's still federal law, and they can take you and throw you in their magic box where you make the money. And they yeah. want to do that. And that's legal. That's, that's a strange thing. That is a very strange thing to, to be uh, operating like that in 2013, that people are making money off of locking people up. Some of yeah. like the, the guy in Montana, there's a famous story of a gentleman who's in jail because he had guns as well as medical marijuana. And they passed some new thing saying that if you have guns uh, and you're, you know, you're involved in marijuana, it makes it way worse because then it makes you like a crazy drug dealer. Like you're one of those Mexican narcos all holed up in Humboldt with fucking machine guns and shit. Yeah. But no, this is a guy that was like a hunter who also decided to run a medical marijuana farm because he was trying to make money. Because he thought that was the law. He had these local politicians, local cops come over and inspect his plant. Like, ah, everything looks good. And he's like, here's the list of people that I'm selling to. These, these plants are all dedicated to them. This one goes to this person. This is, the, this is their medicine. And I'm, I'm, I'm a farmer, and I'm going to be able to feed my family and make a living doing that. Now that the guy's up for, uh, it's possible they might lock him in jail for 80 years. Oh, good. That's, that's great. For Good. what? For is yeah. it because he's shooting people? No, 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 no. Jesus. Is it because he's a felon? He's not supposed to have guns because he's been shown to rob people? Oh, no, 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 no. He's just a farmer. Okay. Is it because he's hurting somebody? What is the? Is he growing something that's bad? Oh, no, no, no. He's just growing medicine. That's state-approved medicine. So they can put this guy in jail for essentially a non-crime. For in the state, it's everything he did is completely legal. His use of firearms is recreational and for hunting purposes. Like his guy's not a narco terrorist but yet they can use all these bullshit laws 
and arrest and this guy. And probably confiscate a lot of material. And oh, stuff. they that already was, did that. They took it all. They yeah. took all his weed. Yeah. All his money, too. Yeah. They come in and jack your money and your weed. And what they do in California, it's kind of cute, is because Obama said that he's not going to target anybody who breaks uh, only the state law. He's going to say if they break both state and federal law, then we're going to come after them. Or rather, not federal law, because it's all federally illegal. So he said, if they're if they break the state law as well as the federal law, then uh, then they're open for prosecution. Is that recent? Is that no, recent? this is when he first said when he got into office. Oh. So this is what they do. This is how cute they are. So they don't really put you in jail a lot of the times. What they do is they arrest you. They open up the place. They come in with guns. They scare the fuck out of everybody. They take all of your weed, and then they take all your money. They take everybody's information down, and they do nothing. So it's, it's a, a jacking. It's a jacking. That's a jacking. So instead of like arresting you and prosecuting you and putting you in jail, instead of doing that, what they're doing more often is just taking all your shit and then saying that the case is open. And they never do anything about it because they really don't have the resources to, to prosecute all these cases. They really don't have the resources to go after all these guys that are running these medical marijuana shops because there's twice as many of them as there are Starbucks. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, the numbers of medical marijuana clinics in Southern California is, is somewhere in the thousands. They, they don't even know how many uh, dispensaries, rather. They don't yeah. even know how many they have. They're, they're everywhere. It's fucking things. And some of them are operating illegally, but they don't give a shit. If they come in, they take all your stuff. And they take all your money. And some people, you know, do a little time here and there. But for the most part, for like really egregious things, do a little time here and there. For the most part, it's jacking. Yeah. You know, it's for people who are, you know, aren't sympathetic to the marijuana cause, which I don't know if anybody listening to this show isn't sympathetic to that cause. But presuming there were, you can take the cause out to the raw, the, the whole raw milk. Yeah. You know, you can take that out to that. I watched a documentary called Farmageddon. Same thing. Yeah. Gunned, you know, agents with guns going in, locking up yogurt freezers <laughs> yogurt freezers and then jacking these farms they're like little farms they're selling to people you got these kids saying oh my asthma was way better when i was drinking the whole milk uh, the raw milk is it's obviously way better for you a lot of this lactose intolerance and stuff yeah it's because of the way that they homogenize pasteurize and process the milk which is great if you're dealing with like a city and you have to store milk for weeks in advance it is certainly more healthy than getting people raw milk that goes bad then everybody gets sick and that can happen too so i see why it was invented but the idea that someone could have a source where they could be they could get raw milk and they can get it from a farm, and that farm sells it to the supermarket. You know it's all safe and fresh. It's dated. It's all good. But that's illegal. Yeah. That, and not only that, they'll arrest you with guns, guns drawn. Yeah. Guess what would happen, though, if the government didn't come in and regulate that? Well, you know, consumers would start to look for, hey, do I want this milk or do I want this milk? And you start to identify brands. Or there'd be consumer watchdog services that came up and said, hey, these milks are good. These milks are sketch. You know, don't drink these milks. And the system would self-correct itself. And instead of locking people up, it, you know, taking away whole stashes of yogurt, you know, you could, the system would just work. Yeah, and where's the system in effect for the pharmaceutical industry? How many fucking people drop dead every year from right. Oxycontins? And why aren't they beating down their door with guns and trying to figure out what the fuck's going on here? Yeah. No, no, then they're, they're too busy arresting farmers for bad yogurt. <laughs> right. I mean, wow, God damn it. And by bad yogurt, we mean good yogurt. Yeah, by delicious yogurt. It's um, a strange thing, man. We, we have a, a strange world. 
and it's uh, it's 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 all like going through a growth phase. It's like a 16-year-old that's throwing temper tantrums because they're about to become a grown-up and they're not quite there yet, but they they fucking think they are. I'll fucking tell you, bitch, you know, and they get crazy. Yeah, it's 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 real weird. Yeah. It's real weird to be a part of. And, you know, the fact that you have the government telling you what is good for you and what is not good for you, it kind of removes people's responsibility to take the onus on themselves to say, hey, I'm going to go out and procure what's good for my body. A lot of people just blindly trust, like, oh, yeah, the FDA says it's good. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's good. It's FDA approved. It's, it's well, good. Well, should and be a better a resource than a government resource. At this point in time, yeah. there should be, um, instead of a, a government resource, it should be consumer-based resources that are more effective because they're motivated by something other than just having a job. Sure. It's something they have a passion in. Well, I, I don't believe in, you know, whenever you have a government agency like that, I'm like, God, who gets that job? Is, I mean, are you sure that that guy is really fucking into making sure that yogurt's safe? Or is he just some asshole with a job, you know? And you never know. And it could be, a, you know, even good people in that system, they have to enforce bad laws. Yeah. You know, I mean, these people in all of these organizations, they could very well be good people. And you hear stories of them just saying, look, I just couldn't take it anymore. You know, I'm having to enforce bad laws. They come in with a positive ideal in every one of these bodies. But just the system is is designed to force them to enforce messed up laws. And, yeah. and that's, that creates a problem. But, but going back to what I was saying, that you know, when someone's telling you what to do, you don't take that onus on yourself. I think it's really, they think, everybody thinks that it's really helping people, but ultimately, the only person that can decide what is good or bad for you, you know, the only person that can decide what's good for Joe Rogan is Joe Rogan. You, know, you got to do the research, you got to figure it out, and figure out what's good for your body. You know, you are a really cool analogy that I just recently heard. You know, we have millions of different cells in our body. We all know that. And if you think of those cells as individual life forms, then we have millions of life forms that are under our control and doing our bidding thanklessly. They just go to work every day and do what they're supposed to do for us. And we are like their God. We are their rulers. We control their life and death. We can make their life difficult, or we can make their life good. And we we're are feeding them shitty coffee the, and exactly. Cheetos. We are the gods of our body. And you can almost say they work so hard and so well for us that they, you can almost say they pray to us. You know, Whatever analogy you want to use, they're there for us. And what do we do for them? Yeah, exactly. The coffee's probably not nearly the bad thing that we do to them. But yeah, that makes, it, that makes an impact. Cigarettes. You know, cigarettes. The, the bad processed you know, foods that you get. No green ever, no vegetables. We come from the earth. We got to put a little bit of that back, you know, put some real fuel back in there. It's one of the things that people neglect more than anything, the, the nutrition and health and exercise. I mean, I've, I've Mm -hmm. seen, I've had intelligent friends that laugh, that mock at me for working out. You know, they think it's like, it's beneath them. I'm like, okay, by being lazy, you're, you're limiting the quality of your life. And you think that that's smart. I think you're just being lazy and you just sort of justifying it with this like, you know, silly attitude, the silly hipster like attitude. Mm -hmm. There's nothing, whatever. Who gives a shit? You're going to be dead anyway. You know, that kind of thing. It's so stupid. Or they discredit the value of it. But you know, it's not just about physicality. It's about what that does for your mind. Too. Yes. You know, the confidence in certain situations, the ability to have that, to take care of yourself as a man, as a woman, as a human being, you know, it, it messes, it changes your mental dynamic. 
it certainly does. And I, th- I also think that your mind functions better. I mean, you can have a really brilliant person that doesn't take care of their body, but man, would they be even more brilliant if they did yeah. take care of their body? Yeah. I think they would. I think the amount of emphasis that you put on your mental function can be delayed or retarded by the fact that your body's not keeping up or that your body's sending shitty signals. So mm-hmm. Your body's tired all the time. Your body needs naps all the time. Mm-hmm. Your body is like breaking down. It's always getting sick. It's always that that derails the quality of your thinking totally unquestionably and having excess stress in your mind erodes the quality of your thinking as well because you you're you're quicker to pull the trigger you're quicker to yell you're quicker to be upset about things you're you're not in control of your meat vehicle (laughs) right silly bitches right yeah people need martial arts man that's what i say i say we need to teach them in fucking school I think kids, every kid, like in school, it should be something you learn like English. Mm -hmm. You should learn martial arts, and it should be in grade school, middle school, high school, college. I really think so. I think there would be way less cunts, just way less. I think it's it's one of those weird things where people think that it would create bullies. I think it would be just the opposite. The opposite. Yeah, the discipline, the self-respect you get. And if you're doing something like jujitsu now... Pure striking stools can create some massive egos. Yes. We've seen that. Yeah. But, you know, something like jujitsu, it's very difficult to create a massive disproportionate ego in that. Yeah. You know, unless you're a, a, some case where someone's just so good that they just beat everybody and then they get to be a dick, I guess. Especially if it's like one of those point. kids that grows up quicker than the other kids. Yeah. It's got like super fast twitch muscle yeah. fibers. Yeah. yeah, that's possible too. But I think, man, it would cut down on so much if more people uh, had that kind of a discipline in your life. Mm-hmm trying to fix the world somebody i had somebody on the podcast once and we we're talking about kettlebells and battle ropes and shit like that and the guy goes are you making a fucking army like what's going on here man you're getting people to work out and yeah. take vitamins and shit and then you and then you tell them the propaganda's bullshit and <laughs> <laughs> tell them they need to go hunting no we're not making an army but you can make your own army you can follow our advice you can make your own shit i'm not making any fucking army no i don't have time for that can't even say that. If you say no. you're making an army. The NSA light goes <laughs> off. A blue light goes we're, off. We're creating consciousness. Yeah. We're creating a consciousness epidemic. It's going to be like the, I don't know. I don't know what colors left in these plagues. See, that's the thing. That's a funny thing I was just thinking about. You have these analogies of horrible, destructive things happening on a large scale. But what's like the nuclear bomb of goodness? Like nothing exists. Blowjobs. <laughs> Blowjobs and the nuclear bomb of goodness. All right. Because it's all a gift. Yes. You're not giving anything back. <laughs> Just get, it's coming to you. I, Boom. I see. Boom. But it only happens on a one-on-one basis. It would need to be a right. massive 500,000 uh, person at a time. Blow, Blow job. job. Yeah. And if there was something that could do that, that would become the analogy. Do you think that um, this uh, shamanic uh, breathing thing is something that could be taught like in classes, like yoga classes, where you can get a bunch of people to experiencing it together? I do. I think if people were willing to explore, I think, you know, you'd have to st- I think that's one method. I think isolation tanks are another method. I think a lot of these methods need to be explored and proliferated throughout, you know, throughout our consciousness as a tool. You know, it needs to be taught like, hey. You want to get back in touch with something that's a little more real, that's a little bit deeper in yourself, that's not clouded by all of the voices of the, the dream, as the Toltecs say, or our emotions and our needs and our wants and what, all this crap that's going on in our head. You want to tap into something a little deeper, a little more real, a little more connected to your fellow life. You know, this is one method. This is another method. You know, and then, hey, maybe for some of you, 
here's some other things that totally, obviously, you know, we believe should be legal, like mushrooms, and then get it down to a science where you know exactly how much, what your dose is, maybe go on a scale, get your, get your accurate biometrics, combine science with shamanism to create reproducible results uh, and an experience that's not clinical, but not entirely just on the fringe of spirituality as well. And I think you could really affect people's consciousness doing it in that way. What's the laws on sending people down to Peru or Brazil or to do ayahuasca ceremonies? I think, as far as I understand it, you abide by the laws of the country that you're in. You know, they're federal. There's no federal jurisdiction. I don't jurisdiction. think that's true anymore. I think there's been new regulations that have been uh, passed that say that if you do illegal things in other countries that um, you could be prosecuted for them here in America. Really? And I think, yeah, yeah. And I think the idea behind that, I think the, what they used was pedophilia. I think it was one of the things that they used oh, to yeah. sort of sneak that through. Like going to, going to Thailand. And yeah, which I agree with 100%. Sure. Not that I agree with pedophilia. That's not what I said, you fucks. What I, what I said was that I agree that, yeah, you should prosecute people for doing that. Prosecute people that are doing that anywhere. It doesn't matter if it's legal or not. That's a fucking crime on humanity. But the fact that uh, you, you, they might be able to use that against you with I've never heard I've never heard of a case of that actually coming. Yeah, that's the problem. It's like the laws that are in place, you know, especially with the NDAA, there's no been no cases of that either. And you can't really be prosecuted for doing a past substance either so it, it would be really tricky to try and prosecute someone past substance like saying like if someone says ago? yeah if someone says yeah i did acid you know a year ago right you know that is not prosecutable everyone in amsterdam well. would be fucked <laughs> well uh, no only yeah right from then before the i think they would have to be grandfathered in right <laughs> yeah because it would be interesting but this new law this, like if you yeah. went there now and they found out that you did marijuana in amsterdam a month ago would they be able to prosecute you I don't think so. Is someone knocking on the door? And if so, why are you answering it? Don't answer that shit. <laughs> I would say that uh, I would say that you can't get prosecuted. I would hate to, you know, I would hate to deter people from going on these these journeys and expeditions with that fear in mind. I just whether the law is there or not, I think practically it's. Uh, I haven't heard of a case of it, but I'd like to explore that and see and make sure that the real it issue is. would be like say if we decided to create some sort of a counseling service where you sit down with people and uh, you decide whether or not they're crazy or undercover cops and then allow them to sign up <laughs> right. and go to Brazil. There's, a, there's people who do that already to a certain degree. Um, I don't know. They haven't, got, they haven't been fucked with as far as the ones that I know or anybody that I've heard of. But they could be just flying under the radar. Possible. Yeah, that's it's the possible. issue. The issue is what happens if someone actually tries to do something like that and create a service. Well, and, uh, we should ex we should explore that and get uh, some more knowledge. We're just talking out our ass right now. <laughs> we don't, we yeah. don't really know what's what's going on. Yeah, but we are. I like you know I like your thinking, and that's been also part of my thinking is what are the ways that we can do things fully above board because we can't in consciousness recommend people to do illegal things. The risk is there, the stress of doing that is there. You know, we're not trying to do that, but. We want to create a change, and a lot of these changes, change-creating events are illegal by our government. So how to work a way around that? Well, some of the things, find the legal psychedelic experiences, breathing, you know, isolation tanks, um, certain types of meditation. But that's, then if you want to take it farther, yeah, 
you know, go out of the country. I know in, in Canada, even Iboga is, is legal. I know in South America. Almost in Canada, it's legal. Yeah. And in UK, Canada. yeah, Canada and UK, Iboga is legal. And then in, you know, most of South America, ayahuasca is legal. And also the church, um, the church of Santa Dime or UDV, mm-hmm. I always get those two mixed up. I think but there's two. There's two. I think yeah. they're both legal now. I think. Yeah. Both of them. Both of them got approved. Yes. So that may be another way too, is really kind of, you know, allow people to become. Explain that for people who don't know what the fuck you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, so there's a, there's a Freedom of Religion Act that allows you to have your sacrament, whatever that sacrament can be, if it's intrinsic to your religion. And there's two religions based out of Brazil that focus on the ayahuasca as a major sacrament. Um, and that's the uh, Unias de, de Vegetalistas. I don't know. It's, yeah, in, it's in Portuguese. Something, yeah. And then there's the Church of Santa Daime, which is another one. And both of them use ayahuasca as a sacrament. And they brought it all the way to the Supreme Court and said, hey, we want to use our sacrament to express our religious freedoms. And, um, you know, one good good move by the Supreme Court is they, they upheld that based on the Freedom of Religion Act. And there was precedence for that based on the Native American church uh, claiming peyote as their sacrament. Well, you know that Alex Gray is creating his own church. Yeah. Yeah, which is fascinating stuff. Oh, hey, man. We're in the middle of a podcast. Oh, okay. So go fuck right. yourself. This is live, goddammit. <laughs> okay. Good to see you. Nice to see you, pal. It's a pleasure. Sit down? Um, five minutes. Yeah, come sit down. Relax. This is Eddie Brill, ladies and gentlemen, who's a, a good friend from the old school Boston days of stand-up comedy who gave me some good advice when I was a young pup yeah. back in the day. Hold on, he's got to turn this on for you. You were the second baseman on our little softball. Team. What's we going on, man? Music. All right, bro. This is my friend Aubrey. How you Aubrey, doing? How you doing? We're in the... Dan is a comic. What's up, Dan? Yeah. We're just b- breaking down the universe, but it's good to see you, buddy. Yeah, it's good What's to see you, What's happening? What are you doing here? Um, I'm running a showcase. I got this comedy festival that honors Johnny Carson in his hometown. So oh, I'm looking really? for comics. Good, Where's smart. his hometown? Norfolk, Nebraska. Whoa. So he built this 1,200-seat theater in his hometown. He loved it. And so to keep his name alive, it's like the sixth year of it. It's a pretty, pretty top-notch thing. Oh, okay. So you're here uh, showcasing local comedians, put them on there? Yeah, this is my... Uh, each night I go to a different city. So I've been in Vancouver, Seattle, San Francisco, Denver. I'm here tonight. I got Fort Lauderdale tomorrow. Oh, that's cool. So you guys, is it an 8 o'clock show? Is that what it is? 7.30. Oh, great. So it's going to start in about 10 minutes. Yeah, and they said you were oh. here. I wanted to say hello. What's up, buddy? Yeah, I'm good. I'm happy to see you. I haven't seen you in forever. I when know. was the last time I saw you? We were at the Improv for like two minutes in L.A. I said, hey, I just want to say, hey, buddy, yeah. I got to run. But before then, I think it was like Boston. Yeah. Long, long, time. long time ago. But I remember what I remember... You know, we were playing softball all the time and having a blast. And the only and there were a couple of guys who were like would take it seriously. But you and I, we would dance. At fr- I was first baseman, you were second baseman. We would dance, we would sing, and people would. Matt Graham would be like, "Come on, take it seriously." Yeah. Remember, there's, Brent, a, there's Brent, a small group that's seen yeah. the Rogan dancing machine. Yeah, yeah. I dance my dick off. So. Yeah, but remember Brian Fraser? He would yeah. he would get fucking huge arguments. You were fucking out. You were out. You were out. He made the fucking play. You were out. You're like, whoa, it's a yeah. comedian's Come on, baseball it's a, game. Yeah. People are there's a keg at playing third base. Yeah, you know that was uh, that was fun times, man. Those uh, those days for we've we've talked about them on the podcast a million times, but 
when uh, I started in 1988, it was the most magical time in like the history of stand-up comedy. I, I came along at the perfect moment, and where Eddie was uh, one of the headliners in Boston already, he was a couple years ahead of me. There were so many great comics in that area. Just Kenny Rogerson alone. Yeah, just, I mean you know. Don Gavin, uh, Steve Sweeney, was, Lenny Clark. There was these Lenny Clark, Kevin Meany, Kevin Knox. It was these killers. Killer mm-hmm. comedians. There was so Mike Donovan, right? Bob, Mike Donovan, Bob Goldthwait, yeah. and uh, Tom Kenny. Yeah, a few of those guys who left, and you know, and yeah. you know, uh, Stephen Wright. There was a gr- there's a great documentary that uh, um, Franz Alameda, yeah, Franz Alameda made this documentary about that time, and he's got a lot of great old footage, and they really captured what had happened because it really fell apart. And if you go back to Boston now. There's a few local comics. There's a few guys that are still making a living doing like the Dick Doherty comedy huts and local right. gigs in town, but there's not this swarm of young talent like it was well, back when. That's why you, now you go to Austin and, you know, that's happening like a city. That's like where Austin. they're at. From, that's yeah. Where yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm going there in March because, it's, you know, right that's on. where the, the comics are. Yeah. And, and then like Austin, Denver and Seattle. Austin. And, yeah, Austin's fantastic. Denver, too. Margie Coyle. Yeah. She runs that. Margie's uh, the shit. Yeah. And Denver, Wendy's place. Same, yeah, I was there last situation night. it was you know every yeah. year for this festival i at least get one or two people from denver so they're, denver's they're legit they have a le- that's one of the reasons why i lived in colorado for a little while oh wow they had a legit they had a legit stand-up community yeah. i'm like i want to be in a place where it's more relaxed but also has like real comedy yeah and that's uh that's there's only a few places but boston used to be the place but there's a kid named rick jenkins remember rick Jen- sure you know i remember him? very well, well he runs this place in boston in cambridge chinese called place. the boston comedy studio or yeah. something like that it's in the top of a the, chinese restaurant right and he's the one guy in boston who's really keeping that city alive so i go there and yeah. you know when i do this festival i look for people i go to the best comedy clubs and the best booker people like margie coyle yeah and say show me your 10 or 12 best people and they're the, you know they make it easy for me well that's awesome dude i'm glad you're yeah. doing that man because we we need more more young guys getting breaks and chances and there's a lot of them out yeah. there people say oh it's there's nobody good but it's bullshit you know bullshit there's, There's so a, many great young men and women that are out there, and I find them all the time. And they're popping up more and more now, I think, because of these. Uh, the, you know, the internet has created so many. Like Bo Burnham, is that his name? Yeah, he became a star from yeah. the internet. You know, I met him once at one of these Twitter functions. Super nice kid. I met him in Montreal, and he just tore the place apart. Became famous because of the internet. Like literally, someone found it and they said, "Oh my God, listen to this." They sent it, became viral. Boom! Next thing you know, the guy's selling out theaters. Like yeah. Justin Bieber. Yeah, yeah. just like <laughs> he Justin. Is a- he is a Justin Bieber he's guy. Very, he's, he's really young he's as well. Bieber-ish. He's like eighteen-ish, yeah. isn't yeah. he? Like he was 19? fifteen when he was first doing. Yeah, it. he's and a great guy. Yeah, it's, it's we live in beautiful times, it really is. And it's for yeah. So every comedy. year I find twenty people. I, like I got Drew Carey this year hosting it, and I always bring a legend like Lily Tom. I had Dick Cavett and these kind oh, of people. Wow. And then I find twenty of the on the cusp people who are ready to rock and roll, and I bring them and and put them in a situation where they're all with great comics who are smart. So that they're all, they, they're forced to take it to the next level. And then they're working with like-minded comics. They're not working with, you know, some people who are kind of, you know, taking the middle of the road or that kind of a Hacky. thing. Hacky. Right. Yeah. So I went, you know, I'm doing this audition tonight and the guy said, so clean TV clean. I go, edgy, smart. Right. No milk toast, you know, just like Johnny Carson would have had it on his show. Beautiful. Yeah. And how, nice. if someone wants to be a part of this, if they, they if you're not coming to their town, how can they get information on it or how to be a part of it next year? Great. It's called the Great American Comedy Festival. Beautiful. And the only reason I came up with those words, Great 
America comedy. Johnny Carson. Right. So Johnny Perfect. Carson, get in touch with me, eddiebrill.com, write to me, and uh, I'll look at your link. Is it, is it an email address they can write to? Um, don't, don't put it out there. Yeah. They'll send you dick pics. I, I know, I know. <laughs> I got enough of those. I bet you do. <laughs> yeah, my own. I bet you do. <laughs> all right, man. Well, thank you, brother. I'm, I just want to come say hi. I didn't know oh, that I'm you were in the middle you came of it. In. No, it's all right, So man. good to see you. Great to see you, too, man. I'm going to come after the podcast over. I'll come by and say hi. All right, sounds good. good nice to meet you. Yeah, Real good pleasure. To meet you as well. All right. Eddie Brill, ladies and gentlemen, him, stopping in, dropping Dan, Dan, some magic Dan, 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 on us. Yeah, I met him before. Yeah, yeah. What's up, Dan? How are you, brother? All right, we'll see you guys. Powerful Eddie Brill. That's what it's like here in the Joe Rogan experience. Occasionally, <laughs> people drop by. That's pretty cool, though. I like how he's doing that. Eddie was... Uh, it's, it's always nice to, to run into people that were uh, cool to you when they didn't have to be. Right. You know, and he was, uh, he was always nice to me, like even back when I was a scrub. Men of character. Yeah, he's just a good guy. Yeah. Just a fun, happy guy who really loves comedy, you know, so it's cool seeing him do something like that, man. So are you still going to do some stand-up? I heard you were putting together some Oh, man. Oh, man. I got a, I got a few minutes ready, but it's, it's rough. It's really, it's really rough. I think, I think my girlfriend's the only one that's heard it. Oh, uh, she's, she's in the back, and she's covered her eyes. She did yeah. one of those what, cat pictures where the cat's like, wow, not this shit again, wow. I don't try any of my material on my wife, ever. Yeah. Like, sometimes um, I'll, I'll like be writing something down. And she like she'll go. What are you writing down? I'm like, do you really want to hear it? And she's like, I don't know. Do I really want to hear it? And I go, okay, I'll tell you. Do you think this is funny? You know, like that. But I don't, I don't like try out shit on her. People yeah. don't pr- appreciate that. And then the other problem <laughs> is, then they've heard it already, and then they see you do it on stage, yeah, and even, okay. yeah, and they probably would laugh <laughs> that way. Whereas if they didn't know you were gonna do it. Like some people have said, like they got upset at me because some of the stuff that was on my stand-up comedy special was stuff that I initially said on the podcast and then like explored further. But uh, that's part of my creative process. Like sure. If I say something on the podcast and it's really funny, what am I supposed to do? Just let that go? <laughs> no, yeah, I, that's yeah, yeah, I gotta yeah. turn that bitch into a bit now. I, yeah. I have to. But uh, I, well, that's just like ore with gold pieces in it. You gotta refine that down yeah. to the puro. Yeah, the good stuff. And that's a, the weird thing about stand-up comedy that people don't realize. It seems like a dude's just up there talking. But God damn, there's a lot more to it than that. There's so much extra it seem, shit. It seems like one of the biggest challenges that I've ever... That's kind of what drew me to it, is it seems so hard. You know, I've done, like, debate speaking. I've done large-scale public speaking, presentations, expressing ideas. Not, not difficult for me, for whatever my you know, constitution is, but to actually go up there and have to make people laugh, I look at it and say, I have no idea. I have no idea if this will cause a chuckle or it'll just be stone silent, you know? Yeah, it's a, it's a funny art form because it's, everybody's capable of doing it in, in certain, like, small doses. Everybody's capable of doing it, like at a party or sure. amongst friends, or you can get a concept out that happens to be funny, mm-hmm. and and a bunch of people laugh, and that becomes very intoxicating, yeah. you know. But the idea that you can go and address a bunch of people that don't even know you, that are expecting yeah. to laugh, that it's pay money, to, yeah, to sneak around the back and give them some laughter yeah. when they're looking for just a drink and some conversation. But a good guy to talk to is Brian because Brian sort of got in on the cheat codes. What? Because yeah. Brian oh. was stand-up comedy. Yeah. Because uh, Brian, when uh, I first employed him, wasn't doing comedy. He had done comedy, but he quit. 
and uh, he didn't do it for years and years and years. And the day he went back and tried it again was during a UFC crowd in Atlanta on a fucking Friday night. Okay, so it was gangster, and it was a midnight show. And it's not like I had all my material remembered. It was like like three, four years ago since I've been on stage, and I just had to go up on there. Well, I not get... only that, they didn't know you yet because this was pre-podcast. Yeah. This was pre-podcast. Yeah. This was like, now he has cheat codes. Now, he, like, everybody knows who he is. They know he's ridiculous. Yeah, so he goes up there and garden, talks about coming on people, yeah. and then <laughs> they is, start Jeff. laughing. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> is that you? Uh, that's you at the punchline? That's the first time back. <laughs> Comedy in about five years or something like that. Uh, I, I can't watch this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he. Uh, you didn't eat a dick, but you had several moments where you licked the shaft <laughs> and put some balls in your mouth. But you didn't. You didn't eat the dick. You know, I saw. You pulled out of it too. Like that was one of the most impressive things I said that night because you had some moments where you did really well, and then you had a, a drop off bad. I was like, oh no, yeah. he's fucked. And that's the hardest thing is when they lose confidence in you and they're mm-hmm. not laughing to bring them back I up. I can only imagine. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't ever work in black crowds. Yeah. In black crowds. <laughs> once, once you, you lose them. it, you got to get off the stage and <laughs> run. You can't try to get it back because it's not coming back. Yeah, I saw Brian. Uh, I seen Brian a couple years ago, and he was you were okay then. But I saw you in Austin, and you were fucking good, man. Thanks, man. Like I got to give you some props. Like you were seriously funny there. So it's been it's been cool to see that kind of yeah. progression go. He's got the cheat codes, but he also has material too. He works at it. You yeah. know, he's he's up tonight at the Ice House. But if you're gonna do it, man, it's uh you got to just jump in. Yeah, you got to jump in. <laughs> I'm thinking. How about much material it. have you see. written? Well, I've timed myself, and I have like a you know nine minute, seven minute, five minute, kind of three minute. I've gotten that far, so I know like. Well, what if my you have thing that is. much, if you have nine minutes, you could probably do five minutes. Yeah, you need to it trim it fast. down. I bet. Trim it. Yeah, I bet your material needs to be yeah. trimmed. I'm sure it yeah. does, but I almost I have nothing to trim it by. Like right. I don't know what's funny, so how do I trim right. out the shit? I gotta just bomb a few times. Like oh, that one sort sucked. of, or you trim gotta it. listen. You gotta read it to yourself. You got to listen, like, you know comedy, you've seen a lot yeah, of comedy shows. You got to be able to sit there and, and like sort of listen to it yourself. And like, but that's hard too, because there's some shit, sometimes I'll write something and I'll think it's funny and uh, then I'll go on stage and one part of it that I didn't think was funny is the funniest part. Mm-hmm. Like, they're like howling, laughing at this one observation. And I thought that this other part was the really funny part. It's, yeah. it's very, it's comedy to this day is still, there's a lot of mystery involved in it. There's a lot of it's a lot of weirdness. It's a strange art form. The challenging part for me at this point is just deciding on my tone, you know, because there's almost a persona that you bring up there. It's you, but it's you being a little bit more of this or that. Right. I mean, like the type of energy you bring. Some comics are kind of laid back and they sneak the jokes in. Hmm, Some are more intense and they really bring a lot of energy into it. Your delivery style. Yeah. Your delivery style. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. like you bring a lot of intensity generally in it and, and crush and kill, but then you'll see somebody else who's kind of, I guess, like Mitch Hedberg or someone like that, right. who's like really kind of cool and yeah. downplaying it. And it's, I was like, I don't know. I don't know how to play my own material. That's, wow, that's a good point. I've been doing it for so long. I've sort of accepted the way I do it. And yeah. I don't really, and I mean, I, I vary in like certain bits. Like sure. certain bits are like more quiet than other yeah, yeah, bits, yeah. which are more frenzied. But, I yeah. Now when I write material, I write it for my voice. So I already know. You already what, hear that. Know what yeah. that is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This is and there's no right way to do it either, man. 
And I've seen guys change. That's weird, weird when you see a guy, he starts off and he's sort of Jerry Seinfeld-ish. And then somewhere along the line, it becomes Dane Cook. And you're like, <laughs> what happened here? Like, you, you like, yeah. morphed, man. Yeah. Yeah. They're just trying to find themselves. My shit's weird right now because I, I start, my new bits are more story-based bits. And then I, so I like go into these long kind of stories that have bits in it. But then it goes into my older material, which is more just like joke, 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 joke you know, jokes per minute. Right. Almost, you know, where. That's, yeah, yeah. Well, that's the evolution. The evolution is you first start off, I think uh, you try to get things out of your mouth that are going to get laughs and then you look at them as tools like does this hammer work you know is this <laughs> fucking, you know you try you're just trying to get it to work that's yeah. the first stage and then the second stage is okay well what makes you laugh instead of what makes them laugh right. what what do you what do you what know works you? instead of that what would make you laugh if you were in the audience and then the third stage is how do you get ideas across and point things out that you think are funny so, like, as you're moving through the stages, like, the first is just sort of jokes, and then it becomes jokes that you think are funny, and then it becomes, like, things that you're re- relating to different aspects of your life, and, you know, that's, yeah. there's, like, stages of, of the development of comedy. It's I, fascinating. I think, for me, the, the thing that, that may get me to actually do it is I feel like if I create interesting enough observations, even if the comedy isn't quite up to mustard, they'll come back and be like, oh, yeah, that was interesting that he brought that point up. You know, which is probably kind of a backwards way to do it, but at least it's given me something to hang on to. So if I fucking bomb, I will at least make them aware of some shit they were not aware of before. Yeah, you know? well, Bill Hicks had that, that saying. He said, even if you're not funny, be interesting. Yeah, well, well. That sometimes seems like it would work, but other times where you, you're on a date with your girlfriend, like, let's laugh tonight. I want to go out and fucking laugh. And then you go to like a comedy show that's more like just interesting. You'd probably yeah. be a little bummed. You would be, yeah. You would be. Yeah. Especially the kind of chicks that you date. <laughs> Those bitches don't want to hear nothing. They want to hear poopy pussy, farty jokes. Pussy farts. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a good point. I mean, sometimes people just want to, um, they just want to fucking Escape, cut loose. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like sometimes you want to go see a James Bond movie. I don't mm-hmm. give a fuck if it's realistic, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. By the way, that last one wasn't realistic at all. Skyfire or whatever. Whatever the fuck it was. Yeah. Shit was ridiculous. <laughs> It was ridiculous. But that Daniel Craig guy is the best James Bond ever. I agree. He's way better than that fucking Pierce Brosnan cat. Yeah. He was the worst. A lot of these dynasties, I think, are getting better. Batman, Bond. They're getting yes. a little gritty. Spider-Man's not. The new Spider-Man? Fuck that Spider-Man. <sighs> Twilight Spider-Man. <sighs> That's why you like it. I can't, believe, I can't believe you're saying that. What's wrong with the new Spider-Man? I don't even remember. I just remember I hated it. Is that the Amazing Spider-Man, the one yeah. with the lizard? Yeah. I didn't see that. I thought I that dude was, I was all confused. right. I think Toby. I was just used to Toby. I think Toby Maguire is a good Peter Parker, and there's I no heard, reason to make him all Twilighty. I heard Toby's a cunt. Oh, I've heard it. He's a good Peter Parker. I've heard it from someone whose name rhymes with Hyen Hallen. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Brian Callen will be with us this February first at Mandalay Bay. Me, Ari Shafir, Brian Callen, Vegas, socket. We're going to be at the Mandalay Bay Event Center. It's the same place where they do the weigh-ins, and uh, it's going to be crazy. Oh, big venue. Biggest yet? Um, it's pretty fucking big. It's big. You know, it should be fun, too, because it's Super Bowl weekend yeah. in Vegas. It's supposed to be, it was supposed to be Diaz. Diaz Diaz is an agent now. He's like someone agent. actually booking a place. So he says he's going to do things. Ah, I can't do that. I forgot I, my fucking agents booked me somewhere. I'm in Columbus. I'm in this wow. place. I'm in that He's, uh, he's got a lot. He gets up at fucking 6 o'clock in, in the morning to do his podcast. You know what? That's does it? such a good idea. From like 6 a.m. to 9. <laughs> you think that's a good idea? No. 
Well, for him, he's yeah. always up. Yeah. He's up. I mean, he gets up early and, and tweets, like, in one hour. Like, I'm going to bed. It's 5 a.m., and he's tweeting that in one hour, the Church of What Happened Now is uh, starts. Wow. Yeah. When was the last time you saw 6 a.m. from that side, Brian? Uh, not, not the back not, side. Well, flights. Never. <laughs> flights. Yeah, waking up. No, not even that, because I usually stay awake for flights. So I don't think I've seen it in a long, long time. Years. Yeah, that's a shit fucking existence, like getting up at 6 a.m. <laughs> when, when you're not, you're not totally done sleeping mm-hmm. and you have to get up but for joey he's done that's when he's done it's so weird yeah, I, I've, yeah i've seen him do his podcast a couple times but i was still like partying from the night before <laughs> he's wide awake too it's crazy did you, did you hear his, his uh national anthem rant Mm-mm. did you hear that pull it up pull up joey diaz's national anthem it's fucking hilarious he was high as fuck at 6 a.m going off about the national anthem it's 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 beautiful that's a that's a a guy who could change the world. He needs to be a court jester. What? <laughs> <laughs> the fuck are you talking? Where's the national anthem lead? He's trying to get the guy to play the communist. national anthem. I'm becoming communist because listen how high his voice is. Yeah. What is this shit? What is this? Evening at the fucking pops. There's a bunch of gay guys. Put fucking the national anthem with the marines and people shooting people. Oh Jesus! What is this shit? With the, with the flag. You got a bunch of like gay marines playing that shit. The drunk. It was a woman. What is that? What? <laughs> this is an I swear play. to God, if I had a knife, I would throw him at you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a beautiful day to be alive, cocksuckers. Get up. This one has planes on the video. It looks like it should be okay. That's what I'm talking about. Get up, cocksuckers. Stop bad mouthing your country and shit. You sack of shit. <laughs> Get up. I'm sick and fucking tired of hearing. All this shit that there's no jobs and there's this and you want to go to... Get up! I'm sick and tired of ADD and CDD and erectile dysfunction. Get the fuck up! Look at yourself in the mirror, you pathetic sack of shit. Get up! You're an American. There's people out there ain't got nothing. And here you are crying like a fucking pussy. You're a fucking American. Get bullied. People coming into... What happened to the stupid kids in the back of the class that shot people and shit? Get up! What security guards? Teachers, get guns! I want everybody with a fucking gun, cocksucker! You gotta protect yourselves! You gotta leave me here with a fucking slingshot! I'm 50 fucking years old! (laughs) Get up! You're a fucking American! Stop your crying! Fuck the NRA! Just get a gun! Get a BB gun! Get a knife! I'm sick and tired of this! Get up! Stop complaining! You're a fucking American! <laughs> Solid. <laughs> That's what they should play at school. Not that Pledge of Allegiance bullshit. Fifty Cent and Joey Diaz coining the term "get up." Yeah, get Joey's is better. It's Joey's more realistic. Fifty's just trying to fuck white chicks. I know what's going on. <laughs> Try him. Get up. Yeah, he's probably really successful, yeah, probably especially with all that cool. vitamin water money. Did you ever yeah. see that shit that happened with him and Floyd Mayweather? They had a fake feud online. No, I saw on the 24-7 that they were boys, though. I lost so much respect for them for that. They had a fake Twitter feud where they pretended to be angry with each other to get attention. Because they were trying to, uh, I don't know what they were trying to pump up. I don't know if one of Floyd's upcoming fights or what, what the fuck the idea behind it was. Yeah. But a fake Twitter feud between Floyd and, and 50 Cent, so supposedly. So much of that rap game is so much image, though, too. You know, it's, 
they're just really putting on something. 50 is actually, one thing I do respect about him is he actually, he wrote a book with Robert Greene called The 50th Law. And in it, he's very honest about his calculating business approach to creating a persona that's going to sell well. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't party. He doesn't do all the shit he talks about. You know, sitting in the club with a bottle of bub, he's not doing that shit. He's back writing. He's plotting. He's planning. You know, he's very calculated in what he does. And when he talks, he talks honestly about that. But to see him do some kind of public feud, it just seems cheap. Yeah. It seems a little cheap. Stupid. Yeah. Him and Floyd Mayweather getting together. I mean, aren't you guys both worth like a billion bucks? Like, what yeah. the fuck are you doing? <laughs> fuck are you doing? Like a couple of girls having a fake Twitter feud. Yeah. They probably watched Beverly Hills Housewives like, man, we need to get in on that strategy. Yeah, if they want to create some real drama, get Floyd to fight fucking Pacquiao. Not anymore. Not anymore. They, Not that, that ship has sailed. Yeah. That's sad. That one Marquez punch just changed changed everything. Two punches. The one that he knocked him down with earlier, yeah. that changed it a little bit. But the end one, the big one that put him away, th- that was probably the most violent we've ever seen a hero get knocked out. Yeah. Because the Tyson knockout was a beatdown, but he was conscious and he was moving around. He was trying to grab his mouthpiece. And, you know, the referee rescued him. He was standing up, you mm-hmm. know. Like, the if you look at, like, all the various times that someone was a hero and they got beat, like, in the prime, that was the most violent. A guy just got completely starched. The second one would be Roy Jones Jr. when he fought Glenn Johnson, but by then he had already been knocked out one yeah, he time. Was by, on the, yeah, he wasn't. He didn't have that invincible air. Again. Yeah, he'd like, already got like knocked Pac-Pac out um, by uh, the fuck's his name, the dude that uh, the bl- handsome black guy. Fuck is his name? I don't recall. It makes, Damn it. it makes me wonder if that if that very questionable loss that Pacquiao had had some impact on his psychology when he was going out there like he was a little more aggressive or something that he was really trying to prove that uh he wasn't going to leave it in the judge's hands antonio tarver antonio tarver Tarver was the guy um yeah i think um that that could had something to do with him and sometimes a fighter just has your number you know there's there's some sometimes like they you know there's that thing that they say style make fights makes fights and everybody you know says oh that's a cliche and it kind of is a cliche, but it kind of is true, too. There's some guys that just have a guy's number. Mm-hmm. You know, Vernon Forrest with uh, Sugar Shane Mosley. Mm-hmm. Vernon Forrest just had Sugar Shane's number. He just knew he knew how to beat him. He could beat him. And Sugar Shane would beat more guys than Vernon would beat. If they both fought like the same guys, right. Sugar Shane would win more than Vernon would win. But when they got together, Vernon won twice. And the way he won didn't look like Sugar Shane was ever going to beat him. It looked like he just had his number. And that's a strange thing with fighting. And with fighting, the way Marquez and Pacquiao lined up, man, they were just so goddamn close. There's like what his strengths were sort of overcame what Pacquiao's strengths were and what Pacquiao's strengths were, were uh, just enough to edge by Marquez two, in two different fights. Yep. Marquez could take a fucking punch, though. That's one of the reasons why he's always still in the game. Sure. Because he can take a punch and then fire back with his own shit, whereas a lot of guys got overwhelmed by Pacquiao's power and hand speed. Marquez could take it, man. He could take it. So that made him, like, extra dangerous. I wonder what that is. I've tried to talk to, you know, the neurosurgeon that we have working with on it about that. You know, what it is about an individual that allows them to take a punch 
it's pretty interesting, you know, like what makes the short circuit you yeah. know, easier happen, you know, the weak chin. I would imagine it's a combination of experience. Experience, structure. Yeah, structure, structure. is big. Yeah. Like guys like Mark Hunt, who was legendary for mm-hmm. his ability to take punches. Cabbage, who was legendary for his ability to take punches. Big, giant heads, mm-hmm. you know. Both those guys are just big, giant, fucking ironed heads. But then there's Then all- you get some smaller Mexican boxers a lot of mexicans have really good chins yeah. for some reason not to generalize but it just seems like that's that's part of the program and then some of those lighter weights i think with a lot of mexicans um what it is also is a certain amount of your ability to take punishment is your desire to win yeah and your drive and your heart and mexican fighters have always been known for their heart and their toughness and endurance your ability to withstand mm-hmm. a shot and come back cuz you're in shape and you recover that's big mm-hmm. but mexican fighters have always been known for their like willingness to scrap and for their their ability to take a shot and come back yeah. and i think a lot of that has to be like a desire a drive you sure. know like they're proud of their ability to like they're not pussies just like, an, yeah, yeah an overwhelming will they don't want any way out yeah. no way out no way out they're not looking for a way out they're <laughs> yeah. looking to win yeah. like, you look at like the great Mexican boxers that embody that, like Julio Cesar Chavez. Yeah. Chavez in his prime was was that personified. He would bite down his mouthpiece and the bell would ring and he was coming after you. And he uh-huh. wasn't thinking about whether or not he was gonna win. It was he was definitely gonna win. He was just gonna beat your fucking ass. You know, he's gonna and you're hitting him and hitting him and hitting him. Meldrick Taylor and him fought for twelve fucking hard rounds. And with ten seconds to go in the twelfth, he drops Meldrick Taylor and they stopped the fight. I mean, it was that ridiculous. Like, he was never looking for a way out. He was always trying to win. And he was legendary in his ability to take a shot. But then again, Frankie Randall came around and had Chavez's number. Mm -hmm. Whereas he just had this fucking powerful straight right. He knew how to land it. And boom, all of a sudden, Chavez was down. Everybody's like, what? And he beat him twice. And it was one of those things where it's like, this is just a dude that has his number. He He knows how to beat him. It's just weird how, uh, like, uh, how much, you know, stylistically, how much that that factors into certain fights. Mm-hmm. Like, there's certain guys where you you could see them fight the same dude a hundred times. And you they, they're never gonna beat that guy unless yeah. that guy breaks his hand or you know slips a disc in the middle of a fight. You're not gonna right. beat him. He's gonna beat you. All right. And then there's Anderson Silva. And this is fucking guys where you can't Ninja. figure out anybody that's ever going to beat him that that was one of the more mind-blowing sports events there's been a couple in my life but seeing him going to brazil in brazil yeah, aubrey came him. with me to brazil and we were ringside right there while that fight happened i mean to see him do that yeah. is just just blew your mind i mean i've seen him do amazing things pinpoint strikes you know great maneuvers but the way he just did that just saying i don't care i'm gonna yeah. put myself you know he the he get he dodged that spinning back kick. It hit the fence, and then he goes right back where that kick yeah. landed. Like, okay, I mean, you missed me there, but I'm gonna stand right here. And then just slipped him. Oh my god! It was what he was like operating on, not just one level, but several levels faster than Stefan Bonner, where he could just move away from anything Bonner threw, any punch that he threw, he could roll with. Mm-hmm. It's like he, he had such faith in his reflexes and his skill of, of defense and avoiding things that he literally backed his body up to the cage and allowed the dude to throw shots at him. Yeah. I've never seen never that seen before. Never seen that. Never. And then... When he decided to win, he stopped the fight like almost immediately. <laughs> yeah, dropped him, later. slammed a knee into his solar plexus, and the fight's over. Yeah, and you're just like, holy shit! 
you have to imagine that was the same place that these legendary warriors. We've talked about Musashi before, yeah. but that print, that place of no mind. That yeah. I've, I've been actually reading a, a book, which is a crazy radical book. I don't even know if we want to get into it. It's called Zero Limits. But one good thing about it is it talks about getting to a zero state. And the zero state is where there's no thought, no emotion, no anything else. The only thing left to come to you is inspiration. You know, but for an athlete, the zero state, I think, is the zone. You know, it's where there's absolutely nothing interfering with your training and your instincts. Yeah. And he just taps into that completely. So, you know, his impulses are just right. There's no nothing blocking what he knows how to do. And he's trained himself to be the best already physically yeah. and then mentally. He's impeccable. He's so confident now, too. It's like yeah. he's, with every fight that he's won in the octagon, he's like slowly moved his way into where he's at now, which is like this almost unreachable frequency. Mm-hmm. And like all these people that are trying to get to his title, you look at them and you're like, you really want a shot at that guy? Because I'm looking at the way you move and I look at the way he moves yeah. and I'm like, I don't think you can move the way he moves and he's going to fuck you up. Yeah. And, you know, they, they a lot of them are talking good. You know, they're saying they want to get a piece at Anderson. They want to get a piece at And then you'll see them lose to, like, some contender along the <laughs> way. And you're like, listen, man, you got lucky. You're lucky yeah. you avoided that execution. Because the kind of execution that Anderson gives you is one of those retirement executions. Sure. Where you just step and you go, you know, Stephen Bonner after that fight was flying back with Dana White. And he said he was just shaking his head going, no one's ever done that to me before. I've never seen anybody do that. I didn't think anybody could do that. Yeah. He's like, no one's ever done that to me before. That was, that was just humbling. He's like, the guy's an alien. You know, and that, that kind of devastation that Anderson can put on you, you look at the mountain ahead of climbing to get to the level of proficiency that you saw him exhibit on you. And you go where I I, I can't get there. I, yeah. My body doesn't move like that. Like yeah. it's I, I, there's certain physical limitations that certain people just they just have, and certain physical advantages that some people just have. Like a guy like John Jones, mm-hmm. or you look at a guy like Kevin Randleman when he was in his prime. He's one of my favorites <clears throat> as far as like unbelievable athleticism and speed and yeah. power. Kevin Randleman, when he was in his prime, was just a... His nickname was The Monster. It was a perfect nickname. He was he used a... to jump up, bring yeah. both of his legs up in the air. He yeah. was so scary. Yeah. He was such a fucking athlete. And if you don't have that kind of athleticism, you are never going to be able to do the stuff that he can do. You can't move the way he moves. Mm-hmm. You just can't. And if a guy like Kevin Randleman, who is this incredible athlete, dedicates himself and learns the techniques that a guy like Anderson Silva learns and gets to that level of proficiency and timing and confidence that Anderson Silva has. And then another guy tries to get there but doesn't have the same body as Kevin Randleman, mm-hmm. he won't be able to compete with Kevin Randleman. It's yep. just there's, there's certain – there's the roll of the dice is not even. Yep. Everybody gets a different hand of cards, and some people get two twos, and some people like John Jones get four aces. You know, yeah. and it's it's a weird thing, but that's just the way it is. You know, it seems like he's epitomized the body type for MMA. You Anderson know, like, and John Jones. Yeah. Well, both are long, both are long and thin. Long, yeah. 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 You know, you you find that for now, you see it in basketball. You see it. The sports have kind of created a body type that's yeah. ideal, and I think with them you're seeing it exemplified, you know, that extra length, that extra snap. Reach is huge. It's always huge. Uh, You know, I've always been short, so for me, fighting tall guys was always uh, an issue. It was always like, there was always like another thing that you're fighting, trying to get get close to them, you know, and and developing timing. The thing about um, shorter guys, though, like uh, guys like Tyson, 
showed that there's a, a certain amount of benefit to being short oh, sure. because they can unload these ridiculous combinations in fast, close quarters where you can't sort of like the the tall gangly person can't really deal with it mm-hmm. with the length of their arms actually becomes a disadvantage right and in mma you see that with hector lombard who's a, a fascinating specimen because he's not just this ridiculous power puncher but he's also this massive massively talented judo guy with giant muscles so it's like he's this crusher who also has like this sick grappling as well. So he's not worried about you taking him down because most likely you're not going to. Mm-hmm. So he's trying to close the distance and drop bombs on you. Did you see that fight with him and Husamar Pajaras? No, I missed that one. Oh! Killer, huh? Oh! Well, Pajaras is built just like, uh, yeah. just like he is. So Lombard is like 5'7", 185 pounds of solid muscle, as is Pajaras. They're both like the same size. They're both yeah. built the same way. But... Pajaras can't crack the way that Hector Lombard can crack. Right. So Hector Lombard just teed off on him and, and stopped him. But the, the, there's an advantage to that sort of body type, that Hector Lombard style body type. But I think there's a bigger advantage to the John Jones, sure. Anderson Silva type. But there'll always be room for Tyson. Tyson <clears throat> created himself into an unstoppable force. Yeah. You know, watching him train, the old Tyson training videos are awesome. Yeah. Just how he would perfect that torque and that slip and yeah. that movement. It was like uncorking the most powerful force from the ground. Like every part of his muscles working together when he was throwing those hooks and uppercuts, yeah. the way his body was moving, he made himself into an unstoppable force for a while. And then, you know, that, that petered out, but somebody could still do that. There was yeah. also the intensity to his delivery yeah. that like we had never seen before. And yeah. the, the Tyson era before Tyson, we were looking at guys like Tony Tubbs and Pinkland Thomas and really like, you know, I don't want to say this with any disrespect, but there's no other way to say it. They were they were lazy. They were just they were guys who were just they they, they really had no business being at the top of the heap. In any other sport, they wouldn't have been. They wouldn't have been at the top of the heap in basketball. Mm-hmm. Like Pin, Pinklin Thomas wouldn't have been an all star NFL running back. He didn't have that kind of discipline. He wasn't that kind of fighter. But Tyson was. So he came along in this era of people who were slacking. And here's a guy who he put in work. Was saying, I, I get up at five o'clock in the morning and I do my jogging. And the reason why I do my running at that time is because I know that no one else is awake at that time. I remember him saying that. And he goes, it gives me an extra edge. And I remember like thinking like yep. this guy is trying to get edges everywhere he can. He's getting up earlier than anybody running. And you see him running in the dark and he just looked like a muscle, just like a corded <laughs> muscle. He yeah. was he was built like unlike any heavyweight before him except like he was like a bigger version of like Joe Frazier, like a much more muscular version of Joe Frazier, but much faster. Much faster. You know, like his his ability to deliver punches like with speed, like there's a video of him hitting the heavy bag. It's one of the most ridiculous things you'll ever see in your life because he's hitting it like a flyweight. No heavyweights did that at the time. No one unleashed those kind of like five, six punch combinations inside of like two seconds. He was uh, was a guy who came along and just said, everybody's operating at 70 RPMs. Okay, I'm going to go to 1,000. See if you can keep up. (laughs) Good luck. Come get me. Have you seen some of those videos of like really young kids doing MMA now? That's, That's pretty dope. Yeah, there's like, these two twins out of Vegas, and uh, I've seen them uh, hit the pads and stuff. When I saw them, they were like five, and I think they're probably about 10 or more, might be maybe 12 even now. So they're approaching like the teenage years, which will be here before you know it, mm-hmm. and then they'll be men. And yeah. these guys, they started out 
their their body has developed moving like that. Their body's developed throwing up, you know, just effortless arm bars and mm-hmm. throwing combinations and leg kicks and shit. And their parents are super dedicated. Their parents take them to the gym all the time, and they're always there with them and supporting them. It's pretty fucking wild. They're in that tap out commercial. Have you ever seen that commercial with the two kids? I haven't seen it. No. Let me see if I can find it online because it's pretty wild. Yeah, I've just seen the YouTube stuff, and it's crazy impressive. Oh yeah. And that's what Roy McDonald is, man. Mm-hmm. These um, these guys that are coming up now. Um, hey, Brian, go to uh, Rufo Brothers commercial. R-U-F-F-O. Rufo Brothers commercial. This is, um, this is a commercial that they had for Tap Out. And you see these little kids. They have, uh, they have mohawks. And they're, <laughs> they're, they're throwing punches and... And kicks in the air, and it's 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 pretty wild looking at it. It's like everything they're doing, they're doing perfectly. They're hitting the pads, and they're hitting them perfectly, throwing kicks, taking people down, doing duck unders and shit. And like their body is like developing, learning all these skills. And in the video, Mark Coleman is coaching them, and he's coaching them how to throw takedowns. This one. Yeah, this is the kids. Yeah, this, this is, is it. The kids. Look at these little kids, man. I mean, these are like babies. They, they look like they're like five. And they're getting coaching by Rest His Soul. Sean Tompkins is the background. One of the great MMA coaches of all time who recently died. Great guy. But you see, like, he's ducking under there. Like, this guy's holding the pads for him. Look at Mark. That's the hammer, bitch. That's Mark Coleman, <laughs> motherfucker. He's teaching him how to take people down. Look at him throwing up arm bars. They're tapping each other. It's amazing, man. Look at these combinations. I mean, he's fucking five. That's so scary. Badass little kids, man. That's dope. And if it's not them, by the way, they're just one example. I'm sure mm-hmm. there's a hundred it's a, it's of them. the movement. They're all over the world now. I mean, people that are really into having their kids get into athletics, you know, they, they, there's going to be a lot of crazy dads out there that want their kids to operate on the highest level. Mm-hmm. I'll take those kids. That's why, you know. Do you, you think th- so? Yeah. <laughs> I think they would out-cardio you. <laughs> They would just dance around you and kick your legs until you gave up. I would just hold them down. You would start coughing up these brown smurfs. They would just fucking... <laughs> hold on. You'd like fucking try to light up while you're, while you're holding I, right, the kids' I'll do it head. while I'm smoking. Yes, I, w- I will take what do you think the number? What do you think the number of kids is that you couldn't take? If you, those, multiplied those kids? The, if you cloned those kids, yeah. how many would it be before you just got work? Like seven. Seven of them. <laughs> seven drove around yeah. on that? I, we went over this before. I could take a thousand crows with a tennis racket. <laughs> <laughs> crows? Me, yeah, I will fuck up a thousand crows with a tennis racket. I am 100% convinced They're of that. pretty mm-hmm. big, man. There's these crows They're at my fucked. house right now. that <laughs> fucked. I'm bringing the thunder, son. I'm going to take that tennis racket. I'm going to put one of those things on so I can't lose it. It's like going to be like tied a, around like my wrist. String? And then I'm going to duct tape that bitch <laughs> through my hands and around my wrist. And I'm just going to fucking spin like a tornado and just. <laughs> <laughs> I'll fuck up 1,000 crows. Set it up. There's a lot. Set of, it up. like the size of cats. Uh, yeah, and I'll fuck up 1,000 cats, too. Give me 1,000 cats in a tennis racket. Oh, if 1,000 cats up. attacked you, you'd be dead. Uh, no. Yeah. No. 
first of all, they don't have any organizing skills, so they're going to go one at a time, like one of those Steven Seagal movies, where they're going to circle and then dive in. They're not going to like, cats don't act in packs. Cats, cats are loners. And cats would like, if one cat went in, the other cats would be like, well, let's see what happens here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, would, they would be a little bit more clever. They wouldn't attack you en masse. This is all the cat would have to do. Have you seen this video before? No. Domestic short hair. He's available for adoption. He's pet of the week. Placer County Animal Shelter. Right, watch this. This cat fucks this guy up. Oh man, he's got a in a fucking. He's claw, he's choking it, man. Oh man, I hope that cat fucks that guy up. Yeah, well, he does. Oh my god, but this poor cat thinks he's dying, man. You're choking him around his neck. He's trying to run away. Does it get worse? Yeah, it gets. Uh, the cat's still not yeah. winning. Well, the cat's flopping around while he's getting strangled, man. You can't put a cat on this. Oh, now he's around. Oh, Jesus! <laughs> get him, get him, cat. And now the cat's just locked on his leg get and he's him. biting the fuck out of him. Get him. He's basically biting him where his dick is, really close to his dick. <laughs> the cat just ran away. He had to let go. He gave up. The cat gets away. Thunder cat's home. Yeah, if you want to get away in your cat, bite a dude in the dick. That's what I learned from that video. <laughs> so just wear a cup in your thousand cat battle. Jesus Christ, man. What, why would they do that and have it around its neck like that? What yeah. did they expect it to do? Yeah, it was, it's for one of those uh, news stations where you're trying to adopt a cat, you know, where they, like, they'll have like the reporter, you know, like this. And, and they kept it going live. They, is this Chicken Jack too? Oh yeah. This one here, out of their car and killing them. That was part of their sentence. This little guy's having fun. It's a bad sound. When that sound goes, you drop. Going to have to come right. Ow! Oh man. Oh, she's crying. There's no crying in cat adoption. <laughs> wow, that girl. She 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 fell out of her character right away. Is there any more annoying character than the news character person? The person who just everything seems fine here. We're just gonna adopt this cat. Just no real personality. It's like Local news a complete cookie cutter sort of way of uh, of of talking and behaving. The local news anchor person, like they, they want you just all your personality just squeezed out. The most personality you have is like after some completely wacky story, you're allowed to go. Well, isn't that something? <laughs> huh? All right. Well, well, back to here's you. you know here's Bob with sports, <laughs> and you're allowed to do that. But you know, other than that, you have to act like you are a completely robotic, cookie cutter type of human being. Yeah. Here's That's why so many people get Remember that home. black guy who got the bug in his mouth and went ghetto? <laughs> yeah. Do you remember that one? That's a good one. Because when black guys do that, it's perfect. Because when, when black guys take on the black guy version of the white answer guy, <laughs> announcer guy from the news, and then he got a bug in his mouth or some shit, and he went fucking crazy, and <laughs> he he's like, God damn, motherfucker! <laughs> he starts screaming and shit. You find that? Here's a hundred oh cats. My God. That's only a hundred, and you think you get a thousand? Watch, watch when this lady Depends on what out. I'm dressed like. All those cats just fucking. It's like a is this a crazy cat lady? Yeah. What is this? Yeah. They're like all strays. She kept all these strays, and she just has all these cats in her house. But where do they shit? Uh, this everywhere. is her house. Can you imagine what that smells like? Yeah, that's her house. Oh my god, they're gonna kill that bitch. <laughs> cat enthusiast is what she's called. Look at her. She looks like a cat enthusiast. Ooh. She looks like some of the girls that I dated when I was in my twenties, but now they're sixty. Boston girls. Yeah. High Monster. Look, she's all dolled up for this too. 
Look at this crazy bitch. It's like Joey Diaz's bathroom. You think, yeah, you think her house smells like piss? <laughs> oh Hardly, God. right? How much litter does she use in a day? Oh, it's a hundred cats. Meanwhile, they feel like they're in prison. Yeah. It's like, why are we all inside? Do you have a door? Can we get outside? Can we get out <laughs> of here? Out. Why do you want to keep us in this house? some birds. Bitch, are you crazy? Have you heard about that new species of spider that makes its own decoy? No. Yeah. That's it's a fucking a, a species of spider. Um, it's, uh, it's found in the Tamborpata. T-A-M-B-O-Pata, P-A-T-A, Tambopata, Tambopata Research Center in the Amazon. And these they make a decoy out of leaves and dead, dead bug parts and other scraps. And they piece together an artificial spider. And what comes after it, though? Who wants to jack a spider? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a really good fucking question. I mean, something has to be trying to jack it if they're setting themselves up as bait. The rainforest is so fucked, though. I assume that nothing's safe. I think everything gets jacked in the rainforest. Probably. I yeah. mean, what, what isn't, you know, what's safe? What really happened on that Thursday here at Augusta High School yeah, that is. led to Chris Wood's death? <laughs> the fuck is that? <laughs> Shit! <laughs> I'm dying in this fucking country-ass fucked up town. Country ass fucked up town because a bug flew in his mouth. I can't see pollen. Let's get the fuck out of this country, motherfucker. I can't even see me. (laughs) 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 Got real, real quick. The fake newscaster voice. What is it? Those people, I think, are the biggest perverts because I think it's a lot like. and this is not based on any research whatsoever. I'm just talking on my ass. But I think if I had a guess, I would say that, that a lot of those dudes are perverted because of the, the same reason why Catholic priests become perverted. You tell them they can't fuck ever, you know, and then they get suppressed. And, like, you tell these people they can't behave nutty ever, and they go, they go off the deep end. Well, it, this is a restricting other emotions, though. So maybe they're just really – they just lose their fucking temper. They lose their cool, like – like that. Oh yeah, because you know? they're they're so like because emotional you... repression, personality repression. I bet yeah. they're on a lot of Ambien. Did you? Oh, a lot of Ambien. <laughs> There's a lot of Ambien in the sports world. A lot of the guys I work with uh, take Ambien. Like mm. guys in the production on the yeah. UFC, they're always fucking popping Ambien. They pop them on a plane, yeah. pop them in a hotel room. I'm like you guys are fucking crazy, man. I pop New Mood. New Mood. What was I just melatonin? Gonna, just gonna. Forget what I was gonna download. God damn it! I was trying to bring pull me giants. Up. No, 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 no. Fuck! God damn it! Oh shit! I totally lost my thought. It was about the spider. Fuck! God damn it! I hate when that happens. No, Brian fucked me up by throwing up this video of this guy. We were talking about the spider. I don't know if that yeah. helps you. No, Amazon fucking things up. Things dying. Nah. God damn it. Train of thought on podcast is 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 never a, a free flowing pie chart where you can. Right. It's like not a linear progression. It's like a always. tree where branches are floating <laughs> in the air, and you got to grab them while you can, or uh, or you or you lose them. I lost that one. Fucking shit. <laughs> Why are you laughing, fucker? Um, I just saw a funny picture. Of what? <laughs> Look, this is a cat getting a snowball. <laughs> Oh, the cat <laughs> taking a snowball right in the face? He's going to catch it. Is he it. trying to catch a yeah. snowball? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. Oh, that's so stupid. 
That's the things you do when you live in Ohio. <laughs> Throw snowballs at your cat. <laughs> Damn, I wish I could remember what the fuck I wanted to bring up. Fuck. Um, it had something to do with the Amazon. It had something to do with uh, spiders and crazy shit that they're, uh, they're finding now in, in the Amazon. They never run out of things that will kill you down there. They're always finding some new shit. They found in, um, in um, the Congo, they found a group of spiders that acts as a pack. The first time they've ever observed this, that there's hundreds of spiders, and they make a big, gigantic web. And then mm -hmm. when big shit goes in there, like rats or something big enough, they just swarm it and fuck it up. That's a nightmare for me. Yeah. Yeah, they figured out how to act as packs. It's really spooky. I think there's a YouTube video of that, too. Hold on. Spiders act as packs. My girlfriend is covering her eyes. She has a massive spider phobia. This will be Does great. she really? Yeah, incredible. It's like, like legit? Like, like legit. Like so. as strong as any spider phobia in any other human ever. Yeah. Did she know that that, that couch had uh, a nest of spider eggs in it? Uh, <laughs> Did it really? Yeah. Why was that? Why would you have it? Well, I think I killed it all. I just sprayed Windex on it today. <laughs> I don't think that's enough, It just made man. her mad. Yeah. Right now, her back is tensing up really hard, and she's losing some muscular control. There was a few hatches. She doesn't ones. pee herself, but hmm. it gets close. I'm just kidding. There's no spider there. Just a bunch of cum. <laughs> Brian, pull this up. Spiders living in groups in Congo on YouTube. Spiders living in groups in Congo. This is uh, the first video that comes up on a Google search. It's uh, a BBC uh, documentary that shows these fucking spiders acting as a pack. Spiders. They found a frog that flies recently. Like, like a flying squirrel. Ooh. They're going to find so much shit underwater, Welcome. too. So. Yeah. To this the Congo. Is, this is the Congo, Africa's mightiest forest. That bitch is not even there. She's in a backyard right now pretending. She's too pretty to be in the Congo. Look at all these spiders. Some spiders creepy enough, but these communal spiders live in groups of up to 1,500 in a single giant web. Oh, look at that. That's so fucked. Together in a sinister She's got her head down. Dog. She can't Whit see it. Whitney, you want to come like over here and check this out? out of a nightmare. <laughs> look at what happens when they get something. They just all swarm and... and just the oh, they're little. They're super little. And they all rush to see what's That's still there. scary. Maybe. That, that moth might be the size chance. of a fucking gull wing for it's all we know. It's very unusual <laughs> to see spiders working together like this. But it makes sense here in the underworld, as webs are often destroyed by rain and falling debris, or animals charging through. The spiders do most of their web repairs at night. And I can't see me getting much rest either. Sorry, I'm masturbating. Dude. That's that's scary. Yeah, that sucks a fat one. There was a there's a video on ridiculousness of this guy trying to capture a giant spider in Australia on the wall, and he has like this Tupperware and a helmet, and he goes to put it on the thing and the thing just jumps right at his face. Just bam, hits him right in the helmet. And that was some spooky shit too. Or how about a spider and some cocaine? Did you ever see this video, Joe? Spider on cocaine? Spider with a whole bunch of cocaine. Is that real? <laughs> That's not real. And I guess he just starts freaking out. I think that would kill him. It's probably sugar. You ever seen a spider on acid? Wait a minute. A spider Look on... Is this real, Brian? This I don't is, know. This looks animated I, to me. 
I don't think it's animated, but I don't know if it's cocaine. I doubt it's cocaine. What is he doing? Oh, my God. He's covering himself with sand. <laughs> cocaine. He's just like, ah, oh, I can't get is that, are they Are they actually saying that it's cocaine? <laughs> yeah. If you had that much coke, the last thing you'd want to do is experiment with spiders. <laughs> if that was a spider and it was in a hooker's asshole, you'd go, yeah, maybe that guy's got real coke. <laughs> but just, just a spider like that? Yeah, there's a, there's a YouTube video called Spiders on Drugs, which I... I believe they back in the day they gave acid to spiders to see what they. The wood spider is the most accomplished of all web-building species. Recently, scientists gave these tiny creatures a variety of psychoactive drugs to observe their effects on web-building. When given a minute dose of LSD, the spider's web took on an unfamiliar, minimalist like, structure. Yeah, look at that. Didn't get much work done. When given caffeine. The web structure was not affected, but the spider's behavior was. Whoa. Given yeah. THC, the active ingredient in marijuana, the spider didn't build a web. <laughs> it built a hammock where it lay all day and watched the caffeine spider go. <laughs> that shit's not true. That's not true. You just fuck people over with disinformation. That's so wrong, man. It's not true, right? I think there really was, there really was, uh, tests. Cocaine spider figured building webs was for suckers. Waited till the caffeine spider was exhausted, <laughs> then came up behind it and popped a cap in its ass. It's got a gun. <laughs> nice web, Mr. Crack Spider. <laughs> the marijuana spider had no place to live. It ended up in the crack web as the crack spider's bitch. For more information on the crack spider's... That's <laughs> so funny. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Did you hear about this study that they're, they're trying to do? Uh, Harvard Medical School is looking for an adventurous woman who's willing to give birth to a Neanderthal. Awesome. This is, they're really going to make a Neanderthal. From, they're going to uh, make... Out of Cloning? a fucking human being. I don't know how the fuck they're going to do like it. Like Jurassic Park style? They find an old bone and they're going to get some DNA out of there and Yeah. Well, what's really bananas is that they're actually creating a life that is essentially a type of human being. I mean, Neanderthals are essentially a type of human being, right? Right. I mean, that's the... That's, that's the, 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 the definition. Okay, they're not homo sapien, but they are a type of human being, right? Like, isn't that... Like, Homo floresis, are they a type of human? I don't know. Are they a type of primate? We haven't had to cross that bridge. It hasn't come up yet. But that's a slippery slope. How far back do we still have to give them the rights of people? Or should we give them the rights of people? We should treat all animals with respect. But, you know, how far back in the species chain do we declare somebody a sentient being? Well, yeah, not only that. What do you do with this thing? Do you allow it to go into society and, and mate? Do you allow it to have a life? What if you make a male and it starts raping? What if it goes yeah. in the UFC? What if it goes in the UFC? Oh. <laughs> or Geico. Yeah, Geico Jesus ads. Christ. What if it's five feet tall, 200 pounds? That's what Neanderthals weighed. And just chimp strong. Because Neanderthals, by the way, had bone structure that was completely different than ours. I mean, you, their bones were much yeah. thicker, much heavier. You know, they, they were literally five feet tall, 200 pounds. And that's just different. They're built different than human beings. What, would, that, would they allow that? Have to be a whole new set what of if rules. The Nevada State Athletic Commission. A lot of things in our cool society would get really kind of weird if there was another 
set of sentient beings. Did yeah. you see District 9? I did. Yeah. Did you like it? I thought it was all right. I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought it was pretty interesting what they were trying to do. If, if you haven't seen it, it's a science fiction movie mm-hmm. about this alien spacecraft. Wasn't, wasn't there supposed to be more of them? Yeah, I think they were going to do another one. They were going to do... It, they left room at the end of it yeah. for uh, a sequel. But it was the science of CGI animation gotten good enough where they could make a realistic movie about these these aliens living amongst people. And the way they did it was pretty kind of... It was pretty cool about how they just sort of assimilated and sort of became a part of a life here on Earth. That people just dealt with the fact that these... Uh, what did they call them? They called them... They had some fucking creepy name for them that pissed them off. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, if they went a hold... And went and went ahead rather and and did this and created Neanderthals. We might find out why Neanderthals are extinct. You know, we might have killed them off. I mean, it's very possible that yeah, human beings killed sure. them off because we don't know what their behavior was like, but we do know what the behavior of a lot of other primates is like. We know how fucking ruthless chimpanzees are. We yeah. know how ruthless baboons are. What if, you know, we know how ruthless people are. We know how ruthless Homo sapiens are. What if Neanderthals take it to the next level? What if they're just fucking baby-eating psychos? Because we found um, evidence of of cannibalism on uh, a lot of uh, uh, human uh, corpses that uh, they think uh, might have been either a result of Homo sapiens or Neanderthals, pre- uh, predator Neanderthals mm-hmm. going after people. And then there might have been like humans hunting humans and Neanderthals hunting people or people hunting them. They also know that it was one of the things I talked about with Steve Ranella. The Native Americans were rampant cannibals in a lot of parts of this country. For show or for meat? For meat. Really? Yeah, especially the Great Lakes area, mm-hmm. apparently. Great Lakes uh, area, they were known for you know, catching people and, and eating them. That's one of the things that's always difficult when you look at these cultures that you revere. Because I certainly revere a lot of things about Native American spirituality and certain things about Mesoamerican spirituality as well. But then you see these cultures in their peak doing things like human sacrifice or cannibalism or weird things. And you're like, oh, well, yeah. we weren't quite there yet. Had some good principles. Yeah. But, uh, they were still ripping people's hearts out to please the sun god. You know? Yeah. Well, yeah. the the um, creation of uh, the temple of Teotihuacan, is that mm-hmm. how it's said? Mm-hmm. The Aztec temple where they killed 80,000 people in four days. They sacrificed mm-hmm. something like 80,000 people. They were all prisoners, essentially, that they used to build the temple. And then once they were done, they're like, okay, cool. We're going to fucking kill you all now, yeah. now, that we, now that we're done. So it's like, on one hand, you have this amazing society that's capable of creating such a... a, a, a you know, magnificent structure like this gigantic Aztec temple. But on the other hand, they're also capable of killing everybody that helped build it. Yeah. Cutting their fucking hearts out, chucking them down a flight of stone stairs. Sure. Thunk, 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 thunk. Next. Somebody, um, uh, Dan Doty, uh, one of the guys that was working on that meat eater show with me, w- when we were going over this, we were talking about how crazy those numbers are. He did a calculation of it. It means you have to kill someone every 13 seconds. Massive, massive, and they're doing it not. They're doing it with obsidian, yeah, obsidian knives and stuff. Yeah, they're they're fucking hacking your head off with a stone axe. Yeah, and they're killing someone every thirteen seconds. It's intense. <laughs> this doctor has a really crazy ideal and outlook on this to sort of justify. You can tell that this guy wants to do this. This is one of his goals, one of his quotes. If you become a monoculture, you are at great risk of perishing. Therefore, the recreation of Neanderthals would be mainly a question of societal risk avoidance. 
So he's saying that it would benefit the human race to reincorporate Neanderthals into our population. <laughs> How the fuck do you know, man? <laughs> How the fuck do you know what they're like? They're way more primitive than us. Where we're just accepting that physically, they're way more dominant than us. They probably would beat us in sports. Their bones are thicker. They're probably much stronger. Yeah, if we could outsmart them. But here's the thing. They had bigger brains than us. Yeah, but we won. Yeah, but why did we win? Did we win because we're the more evil? You know, I wonder. I wonder what the hell it was. I think that's why we got to do it. Just figure it out. Do you think we're more clever than them? Because there's also evidence that Neanderthals had figured out a lot of shit that we figured out. Like tool making and yeah. you know, fire. They didn't figure out the internet though. They didn't have guns, dummies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think we're on a path towards more clever and more spiritually enlightened. But it's a very divergent path. It has big errors and big fuck ups and big terminal nodes that really aren't going anywhere. Maybe are just going to have people. Maybe die. we're the cunts. Maybe we won and we're the cunts and the Neanderthals should have won. Maybe they were like way cooler than us. And that we just overwhelm them with cuntiness. And maybe all the shit that we point to is like problems in our society could all be avoided if we went back to being Neanderthals. And Neanderthals won. That yeah. was the first triumph of evil ever good. I don't well, know. this is one of the things that the guy's <laughs> saying, that Neanderthals uh, m- uh, might think differently than we do. We know they have a larger cranial size, and they could even be more intelligent than us. Wow, that is crazy. I never heard anybody say that. When the time comes to deal with an epidemic of getting off the planet or whatever, it's conceivable that their way of thinking could be beneficial. This guy's fucking crazy. Their way of thinking. He wants to raise a fucking civilization of Neanderthals. He wants to bring... This guy probably masturbates to pictures of Neanderthals. (laughs) He's probably a freak. This guy's asking a woman to give birth to a fucking new kind of monkey. Or a new kind of whatever the fuck it is. If it's not a human. I mean, we're human is Homo sapien, right? Mm-hmm. Is that the case? Almost. So, what is yeah. that? So, Neanderthal just another type of primate, or is it another type? I think of human? it was another. No, I think it was a different chain. I think, right. if, as far as I recall, and this is a little vague, but I think it was a different chain of evolution where that one terminated in Neanderthal, and another one, all the Homo erectus, Homo sapiens, they all went on another evolutionary chain. It's, I think that's how it went. I don't think it, there's a direct link. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know either. Yeah. Interesting to think about, though. And it also gets, you know, the minute you introduce, especially in more advanced cultures, like if if there were an alien culture that would come, the amount of chaos that would cause, particularly in the religious structure of things, would be earth-shaking. I mean, the whole tenets of all of this, that we are created in God's image perfectly, blah, 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 all that. And then you have someone who's smarter, cooler, badder than us, you know, and then how do, how do you rectify that, you know, with all these major religions? I think that's, that would be the biggest, there would be a huge upheaval if that happened. Massive chaos. Yeah, what the fuck, man? Have you, Google Neanderthal profile of a super predator this is one uh widely discounted and i should say this widely discounted theory however it's kind of fun kind of fun to talk about it neanderthal poor profile um what did i google profile of a, a monster the um Profile of a super predator. This uh, this guy had this idea that 
the the vision that we had of Neanderthals looking just like us was really based on nothing. We don't have any actual Neanderthal bodies. We're putting skin on them and, and recreating them with clay. And uh, why would we do this and make it look like that when we might want to make it look like a gorilla or a chimp or a profile super predator? Look up videos, buddy. Video. Go to video. YouTube. What is that? Would you put butthole or Mexican no. in there? How are you getting all these Mexican? <laughs> Mustachio. What uh, are you doing? I didn't do anything. How are you getting this? Uh, oh, that's not Neanderthal. Google. Fuck. No, Google did it. Google. Neanderthara. Yeah, that's what you... Knee. Uh, uh, it's just... N-E-A. Slick looking mustache N-E-A-N-D-E-R-T-H-A-L. That's it. Click on the first one. It's kind of cool. Go full screen on this bitch. This is the currently accepted view of what Neanderthals look like. A bit hairier than us, and with a larger nose and thicker brow ridges. But apart from that, they're unquestionably human. In fact, it's been said that if you gave a Neanderthal a shave, a haircut, and dressed him up in a nice suit, he could easily attend Harvard, although he'd need rich parents. There's a couple of things wrong with this picture. First, it's not based on any sound archaeological evidence. That's because soft tissue features like skin, hair, colour, and eyeballs are not preserved <laughs> in your fossil record. Joey's in the The other reason is that after studying Neanderthals for 10 years, I'm convinced they look nothing like this at all. I'm Danny Vindramini, author of Them and Us, How Neanderthal Predation Created Modern Humans. In this video, I'm going to draw on the latest archaeological, genetic and forensic evidence to challenge all your assumptions about what Neanderthals look like. Look at that. That looks like something we should make a kettlebell out of. <laughs> you can see examples of this anthropomorphic bias in television documentaries and museum reconstructions around the world. It's a long video. The men are yeah. sometimes shown as quite handsome. We just want to get to the part where they make them look like monsters. Shaven. Try it back there. We, the children are nearly always quite around. cute, and some of them are made for food. I believe that Neanderthal males also began hunting human females for sex. Fuck that. Look at the size of them. Now, damn. Now this horrific that makes me mad. of sexual and cannibalistic predation went on for in excess of 50,000 Imagine if you, had one, you, imagine if you if had one of those coming after Mrs. Rogan. Ooh, that'd be Ooh, rough. Man. Could you imagine if we, we, we recreate this thing and it does come out looking like that? If this woman gives birth to this Neanderthal and it comes out looking like an ape? Really test our morality. All fucked up, black face with big gigantic teeth, and knows how to use spears. I think this guy's like really quacky though, and he is Australian, which makes him extra quacky. (laughs) You know, there's not a lot of like super experts that people take seriously. They talk like that, except for Grandpa in the bush. But he's English. He's English. But English is completely different. (laughs) If you have English, you can sell things that people wouldn't ordinarily buy, like cooking ware. Right. If you have like an English salesperson. But uh, but Australian, unless you're selling boomerangs <laughs> or some sort of a crocodile gun, you know, you're not going to listen to Australian dude. It's, yeah. it's just, they're too fun-loving, carefree people. They're not really the right ar- archaeologists or mm-hmm. the right uh, people to tell you what a fucking Neanderthal looks like. At least the way we want them to be. Yeah, I wonder if this is bullshit. Mm. Like I said, this guy's widely 
widely been discredited. Yeah, reminds me a little of the aquatic ape theory, which had me for about an hour and a half. <laughs> yeah, that's a weird one, right? There's a theory they're wondering why human beings are so fatty when we're babies as opposed to other primates, which come out like chimps when they're babies. They come out and they're looking, you know, they look pretty rugged, like mm-hmm. right out of the gate. They got sinew. They don't have a lot of body fat. But people are like balls of fat. And the idea was that we were born to sort of be able to float around in water. And then we, we lived by the water. We were aquatic yeah. apes. Well, we did live by the water when those volcanoes happened. I think that was something, the, the genetic bottleneck theory, which does have some criticisms too, but when these volcanoes happened, it forced everybody to the only life source that was available at the time, which was coming out of the ocean, because those were the, those were the, you know, the fish and, and those, the seaweed and things that were unaffected by the massive climate change and the, the, the shit that was in the air that was causing people massive death. Well, they say even to this day, 80% of the world's population lives near the water, mm-hmm. which is kind of fascinating because as the water level rises, if something catastrophic happens, I mean, that, that really would leave a, a fucking lot of confused motherfuckers in the middle, you know? <laughs> yeah. If the world, if like, say if the United States and every other part of the world, everything uh, a thousand miles in on each direction was covered with ocean and you were just left with the center of the United States... Good luck, okay? <laughs> you got dudes who know how to make bows and arrows, you know? Yeah. I mean, for real, if you were left with, like, South Dakota, if South Dakota was all the humans that were uh, above water and everything else done, you got plenty of food, okay, but there's no more internet, and you got to figure out society from scratch from only the people in South Dakota. Just a total random sampling. Yeah, it's a tough go. Good luck. Good luck. The way most of these catastrophes work, catastrophes work, though, is the smartest, the brightest, the cleverest. They're the ones that end up surviving. Or so you they put up- a gun in their mouth because they don't want to survive with all these fucking yeah. dummies trying to eat them. And they're like, you know what? I think I'm going to just check out and see what's next. You know, it was a crazy place to go was Pompeii. And you go there and you see when uh, the people are frozen in ash, like huddling with their kids. Yeah. And when when the, that just rolled through and Vesuvius. just blew up. Yeah. And Vesuvius rolled in and, and caked everything in ash. That's a crazy, crazy moment frozen in time. That's, uh, that's interesting to see. Yeah. And not that long ago either. No. You know, remember Mount St. Helens? Remember when, yeah. when mm-hmm. we were younger? Yeah. Super young. That was a that was a big one, man. That was a that was a Washington State, and a giant volcano blew off. We just don't see enough of those. They they happen so rarely. We're like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. that's what fucking happens. There was that one in Iceland that fucked up air travel, but yeah, that was a little bit of a baby one. Though. Yeah, I think, has, I think it has. I think it has. I don't know. I think it has a big brother though. That when that <laughs> one goes off. Then I think the last time that happened that the water froze like really far up the Mississippi River and things got really fucked. It was like a two-year winter. Crops failed. This was around like 1812, I think. So an Iceland volcano in 1812 caused a two-year winter in America? Yep. Whoa. It's uh, just because it puts so much in the atmosphere that That the sunlight cools everything off. Can we get a big fan and fix that shit? You'd think there'd we be something, right? Blow it on China. Push it in another direction. Deal with that shit, China's bitch. already making the big fan to blow it on us. Yeah, they probably are. <laughs> they probably got fans they're launching in space. <laughs> like like a fan, but with wings. That's going to just hover. A yeah. fan with a helicopter blade. And just hovers up there and blows. <laughs> I don't think any of these ideas work. <laughs> <laughs> 
Nope. Yeah, the natural disasters are one thing that people aren't preparing for. That they don't, you know, everybody's worried about the government collapsing. Everybody's worried about the end of the world. And oh, what if uh, the dollar is useless? What you really should worry about, man, is fucking super volcanoes and asteroids. Those are the big ones. And if a super volcano in Iceland can cause a two year winter in America, what happens if Yellowstone blows? What happens if that motherfucker takes off? Yeah. That's terrifying. That species extinction time. It's weird, you know, it's like our, our society is, um, it's so dependent upon this state of the, the atmosphere staying the where it is, but we have so much evidence that shows that it really doesn't last, and it changes radically all over the world, and then, mm-hmm. you know, different parts of the world are sometimes covered in ice, and then a few million years later, they're tropical rainforests, and, you know, what do you do? You just, you, I guess you just move and adopt, move and adapt, rather. Mm-hmm. There was... Um, a Harvard uh, biologist or uh, astronomer, rather, recently that was uh, saying that he doesn't believe that uh, he doesn't believe that we are, uh, or he does believe rather that we're unique and that we're we're the only life form possibly in the whole world that's like us, and that our situation is so rare with our, our ability to have lasted this long, protected by Jupiter, all the asteroids are hitting Jupiter, and that you know our our environment has been so stable for so long that it's allowed this crazy explosion of intelligence and innovation and that the odds of that actually happening anywhere else in the world or anywhere else in the universe, universe are yeah. incredibly 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 rare and then but then you have to multiply that by an infinite virtually infinite universe yeah. and the fact that if you propose that other species in this virtually infinite universe just started a bit earlier yeah. and they evolved to the point where they could travel they're going to be the ones that travel to us prior to us traveling to them and they have legal mushrooms obviously maybe, maybe they made mushrooms and they put them on asteroids and sent them our way a little helping hand well that's you know a the little theory. pat on the butt that's a theory about how life on this uh, directed planet was, panspermia yeah panspermia with with mushrooms there's another uh, show that i watched it's morgan friedman show through the wormhole where this uh astrophysicist was explaining the infinite in that the universe is so big that they're are the, the the odds are that there is an exact duplicate of you exactly with the exact cells and the exact life experiences and it's you know an infinite number of trillions of miles away like if you you can't even wrap your head around how far away it is but infinity is so big that it means that the world as it exists today exactly with the exact atoms in the exact order that the universe is so big that it could exist not just exist but exist in so many different forms that the exact creation of this earth the exact events that have taken place all have been recreated on this planet there is a yeah there is i heard that in a different way saying that your actions echo in eternity because of that same thing because everything that you do now will be repeated just by the law of infinity by another you at another point in another time period in another universe or in the same one so the idea was that your actions echo in eternity because those those impetuses the choices you make will be duplicated uh in another experience and then and that's crazy then there's the uber mind fuck decision universe scenario where every decision you make branches off into a completely new and independent universe and they're all parallel existing and that every time you make a decision for the positive or for the negative the entire universe is restructured around you and it's a completely new one 
and that any similarities to the previous universe are just just that similarities that you are existing in these new planes that have been recreated over and over and over again yeah. and that life much like we see in when you you break the world down to subatomic particles and then break it and bring it all the way up to universes and galaxies that the universe and its moments are fractal as well and they are also infinite and that in these decisions and moments you create infinite universes <laughs> fuck yes, it's so, it gets so crazy but that, the universe itself is so crazy why is that any crazier you know why is it any crazier than an infinite universe why is that any crazier than hundreds of billions of galaxies why I mean, it's all fucking crazy yeah. like you can't wrap your head around it you're like hey I have 150 acres oh well fucking whoop the shit the universe is infinite what's 150 yeah, acres that doesn't yeah. mean anything when like, you start to explore these topics I remember there's a philosophical conundrum in which the philosopher says, I can prove to you that if I shoot an arrow at a target, that it will never hit the target. And here's how they do it. At a certain point, the arrow would be halfway to the target, and that takes a certain amount of time. At another point, the arrow will be, you know, then you take the next half. So at a certain, that the next half point, that will also take a certain amount of time. Then you take the next half point to where it's halfway to the target. That'll take another amount of time. Well, there's always going to be another half point which is going to have a time value and so if there's a continuous amount of time value in the half point of distance moved by a quark or by whatever infinite measurement by that logic the arrow should never hit the target and you start to think about that you're like huh yeah that's fucked up that's some hippie bullshit son that's what that is that <laughs> fucking arrow something. hit that target exactly that's okay. what we all know but that's if you a dude start... who's never been bow hunting you need to get <laughs> that dude sure. with ted nugent and say get out your fancy graph and watch this bitch <laughs> Funk. Yeah. see your theory sucks a fat dick because that's, right. that's a dead deer that's right and there used to be in those philosophical debates there would be people especially in the skeptical debate there's one famous instance where i think someone just slapped someone in the face so you think you think nothing is real how about this bat and just hit one of the skeptics in the face. Like, yeah. that was real, wasn't it? I yeah, you, you started fucking around with too many what-ifs, and yeah, you got yeah, slapped. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way it goes. There are too many what-ifs. Ten minutes, that means we're going to wrap this bitch up and bring it home. Aubrey Marcus, you are a bad motherfucker. Thanks, Thank you brother. very much, my friend. Thanks for coming here. It was awesome. It was awesome. We went on a double date last night. Hell yeah. Oh. <laughs> that was powerful. Uh, good times, man. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll move on with many, many new things in the future. And I think, uh, I think this uh, hunting thing is a good idea. Hell I think, yeah. I think there's something to explore in that. It could be revolutionary, ladies and gentlemen. Absolutely. Play it out. Play us out. Well, that'll just kick off YouTube. Don't do it. So people want to check some more stuff out for me, warriorpoet.us. At Warrior Poets, my Twitter. And I also put out a new video uh, inspired by the style of Jason Silva. You can get to that at uh, vimeo.com slash warriorpoet.us or warriorpoet.us or whatisawarrior.com. Bring me giants. Bring me giants. It's a great video. It's really fun. I love, uh, I think the world uh, feeds off of uh, inspiration to a certain extent. Absolutely. And any, anytime you can do something like that, that is, uh, it's a little burst. And Jason Silva, I just uh, retweeted one of his today. What a fucking great guy he is, man. Have you mm -hmm. met him in person? I haven't. I'd like to. Well, next time he does a podcast, he'll be back on uh, somewhere towards the end of February, I think. I think he said the end of February. And when he does, uh, we'll have you on with him because he's, he's a fucking beautiful. Uh, beautiful human being oh actually april okay he'll be back in april so uh, we're gonna have him here i think he's in new york city right now banging a bunch of smart bitches <laughs> letting them know what's up <laughs>
Get him, Jason. Um, uh, thank you, everybody. Uh, th- I know we were supposed to have Rick Ross in today, but Aubrey's only in town for a couple of days, so we had to switch it around. And uh, Rick will be join us uh, one week from today. So next Wednesday, we'll have the, the real Rick Ross. The real Rick Ross, who is not a rapper. He is a former criminal who's now a fucking great guy and a community activist and an interesting character with a great story. We'll have Tim Ferriss on Tuesday. Tim Ferriss will be returning. And Monday, and I know I'm going backwards, but Monday we have Alex Honnold on the podcast, who is the number one free solo climber in the world. He's, cool. If you've not seen this cat, you have to watch his videos. You will shit your pants. If you're one of those people like me that just gets squeamish at like ridiculous heights when people do nutty shit, this guy free solo climbs places where no one else can do it. And it is fucking insane. He climbs things that go this way. Like, he's, yeah, hanging, he's hanging off. Down. He's That's hanging. And he's doing it for thousands of feet. It's so hard to watch. It's sweaty palms and freaking out. And this dude is just super mellow and inches his way along. And uh, he's going to talk to us about it on Monday. Right so on. next week, Monday, Alex Honnold. Tuesday, Tim Ferriss. Wednesday, Rick Ross. Thank you very much to Onnit.com. That's O-N-N-I-T. Use the code name Rogan and save yourself 10% off any and all supplements. And if you go to Audible.com Joe, you will get one free month of Audible service for 30 fucking days and a free audiobook. It's a tremendous service and an excellent company. And uh, we're proud to have Read them sponsor books. our Listen podcast. Listen to books. Just get that information hooker any way you can. <laughs> uh, we will be back in a little bit with an ice house chronicles you gonna do that tonight yeah and also uh, can i just say that tomorrow we have a powerful death squad show with joe uh joey diaz duncan trussell doug benson tiffany haddish yoshi brody stevens and me at the melrose improv eight o'clock improv.com and uh, if you haven't been to Improv, it's one of the best clubs in the country, along with the Ice House in Pasadena, where we are at tonight. Um, uh, Greg Fitzsimmons, Brian Redband, uh, Yoshi Obayashi, uh, Adam Hunter, and Ian Edwards. All, and me, bitch. Tonight, 10 o'clock. Uh, so if you're hearing this and you're close, get in your fucking car, hooker. Make, it, make happen. it happen. All right. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you. Adios. Adios.